the world in the year 2017. In a time of tradition, in a city where anything can happen. War that isn't his. Every day in New York City, on the Miami Police Force, in the deep south. You really want me to shake your hand? I insist. If you insist. Okay, somebody, right. Eric, you gotta do the timers. Okay. Alright. Look, how we well, do not it? Not yet. Yeah, not yet. It's just whenever we, whenever we get around. Um, literally. Do you have a list of the movies? Oh, I got it in my hand. I got it up here. No, you fucking don't. Pull the movies up. Reservoir Dogs. Pulp Fiction. Jackie Brown. Kill Bill 1. Kill Bill 2. Glorious. listening to Late Fees, where it's all movies in, no movies out, with myself, Justin, Eric, Pafifi, yeah! and on location, our boy, Cam, who is presumably at home watching movies that he shouldn't watch at his age, like, that. that's just what he does. But he's in his, he's, <laughs> he's at home doing it, so it's okay, that's where you do that. Yeah. I feel, I feel like Max B on The Life of Pablo right now. <laughs> oh, wow. The wave. Calling me, <laughs> free to wave. Hey, sentence reduced again. Really? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while uh, doing the podcast. It's been a while since we've, doing the, we've, we've done the podcast. Obviously, uh, we took a couple of, of weeks off after the Child's Play episode uh, to kind of watch all of these movies that we were, we were supposed to watch. And also, we canceled an episode, I think. We had a... We were, we were trying to do like a little bit of like a, a monster movie and maybe middle of the year type of thing, but we just couldn't get a premise that we like got excited enough about, even though Crawl is really good. And if you haven't seen it, please go see Crawl. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Uh, I th- me, Cam, we saw the movie, didn't we? Or I see it by ourselves. I think you saw it by yourself. I don't think I've seen Wait, where are we talking Crawl. about? Crawl. We saw Crawl. We saw Crawl, yeah. Me you did, you did see Crawl, Cam. Did you like it? Yeah, we, yeah I like Crawl. It was, uh, it was pretty entertaining. Like, for what it was, I, I didn't think it was... A poorly written film or anything. I think it 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 did what it was supposed to do, in my opinion. Yeah, I it was, was a lot. It was like terrifying. Dumb in, fun. In a couple instances. Those yeah, movies exactly. should like, those movies should be dumb fun. Like I think that's where the Meg messed up. Messed up. It, I still gotta watch it. It took itself too seriously for that like cartoonish of a premise. But I haven't seen Crawl. But uh, you guys know I'm a sucker for creature, uh, like actual creature features. There are good <laughs> jump scares in the movie. Like it's the, the crocodiles yeah. or I guess they're alligators, but they look good. Like. They're they're not like stupid. They're they're cool. That's yeah. how I felt about the last sh- good shark movie, the one with Blake Lively, The Shallows or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. the shark good. looked amazing. I yeah. saw. I gotta see that. It's it our boy who directed. Um, 
what was his name? Jean Collat, uh, the guy who does all the Liam Neeson movies. Oh, yeah, that yeah. Lo- actually looked good. Yeah, yeah and the, the shark actually acted as if he was Liam Neeson in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we, we did take a couple of weeks off, about a month, not too bad. Uh, yeah. But, but I do want to thank everyone for really liking the Child's Play episode. Uh, that was ended up being one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done. And yeah, I, we're, we might have the two strongest back-to-back episodes yeah. after that and this one. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and we, we just took a couple weeks off. One thing we did miss was our fucking anniversary, our one-year anniversary of this show. Crazy. Yeah, which is insane. <laughs> we're gonna, this is our one-year anniversary episode. So, yeah, this is going to be our one-year anniversary episode. We'll get it right next time, obviously. But, uh <laughs> I think the Child's Play episode was supposed to... That was yeah, that landed yeah, on our anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, we'll get it right. This is our, it's yeah, our first yeah. year. The, through a combination of Child's Play and QT, we'll have a, it's a good anniversary yeah. celebration. Um, before we even start on, on our massive episode we have today, any, um, any thoughts or any first-year thoughts? We had a very strange... For, not even strange, but we had a very like dynamic first year for a podcast. Like a lot of podcasts I do are very static. Like it's it's the same thing every week. Like I've been doing a podcast for almost a hundred weeks now. Yeah, and yeah. This one has been like some weeks we're gone, we've taken months off. Like, yeah. But we've always come right back to the video store. Like, what are some of you guys' like fondest memories of late fees and just doing the show? It was probably the most consistent thing I've done in the last eighteen months of my life. Yeah. Um. It's a quite a relationship. Yeah, it, you know, even through like just sheer laziness that I have to fight through all the time, and days like this, I have to take thirty-eight dollar Ubers to Pat's from the from from the east side of LA. Uh, no, I mean we just the gamut of movies we talked about, the the few absolute you know stellar guests that we've had and wanted to. Um, you know, come and talk, talk, talk shop with us. Yeah, shout out to Jen and, and Josh Pease. Yeah, Esther. 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 Yeah. Erica Ramirez. Um, just, you know, absolute pals and, and, and friends of the pod alike, you know, just, um, yeah, coming through. And then, I don't know, just like the random love we might get on Twitter, like on a random day, like, uh, Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. That was still the craziest part. Don Cheadle chiming in and, and, and tagging the actor from Traffic. Uh, discussing what we were discussing. That was a fun, fun time. Yeah, and just like, I still think that, like, one of our reasons for starting the podcast is to one of, been one of my favorite things, which is that no one is discussing this variety of movies in the way that it's being discussed. Like, the highest and lowest brow movies in the highest and lowest brow discussions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, we, we've done a Halloween episode, and, and even, I'd be remiss to, to not shout out Wesley Caldwell. Yeah, yeah. Our, for, our first half of the year, yeah, probably, yeah. I want to say, yeah. Yeah, through through the end of last year. He, and helped, he helped steer the ship to where it is now, for sure. Yeah. Uh, we, we just saw him uh, on Friday. We just saw, we just saw uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with him. Yes, we did. We saw it. We, we, uh, Cam, what, what is your fondest memory from being an intern, essentially, to being <laughs> a full-time member of the cast? Okay, yeah, my fondest memory? Yeah. All right, my fondest memory is probably just getting brought on board, to be honest with you. Like, Aww. I remember doing the first episode that I did, and, like, I remember how nervous I was. Like, I didn't want to, I didn't know when to speak, when to jump in, like, what to say. Like, just, like, coming into something that you guys really had chemistry already, and I was just, like, new. And just, like, becoming more and more comfortable. Well, and you, to the you point couldn't to where, come in if you didn't almost already have the chemistry, so. Yeah. And, yeah. In those early days, one of my favorite memories was Cam's first L.A. film festival thing being when we saw uh, Halloween. Oh shit! Uh, yeah, which was awesome. I loved. I loved that. 
Yeah, that was great, and that's probably that was that was probably my favorite individual moment, other than the, becoming a part of the Late Fees podcast, was spending my first music. I mean, not music film festival with you guys, seeing Halloween, and just being excited to do that and everything. So, yeah, man, it's been. I think I've been on for probably since what I came in. I probably came on in like. It was around Except, Halloween, I think. Yeah, Halloween. I think it was probably around October last year. Except, like, around October. And so, yeah. Like, it's been fun. And a it's been something transition. I look forward to doing consistently. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, what we're going to do, same thing we did with Child's Play. Same thing that we've done with the Marvel episode. Uh, we're <laughs> going to run through all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. What, what do we want to put? How, how much time do we want to put on the, on the clock? I say... A lot of them are old. I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I just mean, like, I, I say eight minutes okay. is good. Do you think that's... For total, not all of us? Like Eight, eight mi- minutes per movie. Okay, perfect. Okay, yeah. I was going to say that. Until we get to Hollywood. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so we're going to start with Reservoir Dogs. God damn you, Joe. Don't make me do this. Larry, stop pointing that fucking gun at my dad! <laughs> Released in 1992. Jesus Christ. That's insane. Quentin Tarantino's, uh, you know, independent... I just want to, before we even start, like, how the fuck did he get all these people to do this movie? I think somebody he knew knew Harvey Keitel. Okay. And Harvey Keitel, like, got it over. He was like, I'll be in it and I'll call some people to get it made. And oh, that's, that's I think that's what happened. It's widely considered to be one of the greatest independent movies of all time. Uh, I I mean it's tough to say really what type of movie this is when I when I watched it a couple of weeks ago I was like this seems to me like it's like a student film or like a, a high school like play not in a disparaging way but it's like the way that it plays out the way the conversations go the way that the scenes transition it's very much like okay not many people are on screen at once on this movie yeah a lot of it is very you know two people talking almost yeah. sometimes into the camera at a lot of the it time. really is him on a budget yeah exactly and it is essentially like a who done it like who ratted out you know, the whole squad. It's about a group of bank robbers who, uh, after a botched robbery gone wrong, they're trying to figure out who squealed on the team, and it goes from there. You've got Tim Roth in it. You've got Harvey Keitel in it. Steve Buscemi. You've got Steve Buscemi in it. You've got uh, the the brother... Eric Penn. The the brother of of, uh, Sean Penn in it. R.I.P. Who was in a... uh, He was in a Jay-Z video. He was in a couple videos, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in yeah, a couple yeah. videos. Yeah, he was a big friend. He was a big friend. Oh, he was the bartender yeah, in the Can bartender. I Get Out for yeah. Rush Hour. Yep. Uh, and, and he was uh, he was friends with Brett Ratner, I think, and that's how he got so many of those looks. Rest in peace to the king. Yeah, and not rest in peace not to Brett Ratner yeah, when he not dies. Not Brett Ratner. Uh, no, I, I Brett Ratner retired, bitch. <laughs> he is. Penn is one of the best lines or deliveries in the movie when he's doing the "Don't boy that gut of my dad." <laughs> like, that's 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 when the movie's like, oh fuck. So when did you guys see this movie? I, I don't remember seeing this movie until I was at least 20, I, I was think? I was 16 when I saw it. And the yeah. only reason I know that is because I begged and I, I was first I was the first of three, so I wasn't allowed to see a lot of rated R shit until yeah. I was older. And Kill Bill 2 was coming out, and I just begged and begged my parents to let me see it. And they wouldn't let me see it until I turned 16. And so I turned 16 at, at midnight, and I put it on. And then over the next few days, I watched all of his movies that I, that I could. One of... Them being Reservoir Dogs. So, M- much like Tarantino's famous non-linear structure, I saw all his movies out of order for the most part. Uh, I was around the same age too. I think I saw this after I saw Jackie Brown, which is like crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like Pulp, Jackie crazy. Brown, and then this. Um, but yeah, and it, it, it absolutely set, it changed 
for better or for worse, I like to think for better, like the landscape of indie cinema yeah. uh, coming out hot out of Sundance and like after like years of these really quiet, introspective films like Sex Lies Videotape, Steve Soderbergh's movie from 1989, which like changed the landscape from 1989 to 1992. You had the Sundance boom where it was Robert Rodriguez, El Mariachi, and then this at the same Sundance. Just like these hyper-violent crime thrillers that are also pop culture literate and fun and kind of meta in a way and I mean as somebody who didn't go to film school the fact that he like stunted on people who did with this movie that's why I like is, it is so good like <laughs> yeah. it's it's not it, it's nowhere near the top of his pantheon of movies sure but for what it is it's pretty great yeah so Cam when did you see this movie were you two <laughs> no I wasn't I was actually 16 as well when I saw it I remember watching this uh the summer going into my junior year of high school at my grandmother's house and actually to be honest with you like it's always always grandma's house my grandparents like shout out my nana and my buddy they were huge movie buffs they huge movie buffs like they had all of the tarantino movies this was probably i think the third or fourth one that i saw the first ones i saw were the kill bill the movies which they had and then after that I went your to grandparents watch. were having those. Yeah. <laughs> they had both of them. Then I went to watch Pulp Fiction. And then I watched this. And then I watched Jackie Brown. So I think I did. I watched all of these movies at the same time, too. I think I watched them all over like a two day oh period God, at, that... at their house when I was like 16. Like, that was like my first introduction uh, yeah, to I would have watched, films. I would have watched them in a similar way, like all over the, that grouping of films, all over, except for Kill Bill 2, which wasn't out yet, over a. A five-day period. Now I know why you're demented. Cam. You're gonna say it. We're lucky your brain is still with us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, quick, quickly before we go move into the next movie. Uh, spoiler alert: Tim Roth is the snitch. Um, <laughs> you find out. <laughs> you find out that he's an undercover cop who, I, I mean, gives a really great uh, line and a great scene here, uh, where he he has to tell the story. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. Has to tell the the, the, the story, and, and he's like, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Like, I have to literally you know, play as a robber and I'm not a robber. I'm not a criminal. Uh, I really like that scene the most out of, out of anything. I think we start to really see how Clint Tarantino Quinter- kind of does these cuts. Yeah. He always does. Yeah. Like, showing a story or a needle drop as we call them now. Yeah. It's like we're showing you, you know, not just, you know, we're not just telling you, we're going to show you as well. And uh, you find out how he was able to infiltrate this team. So, yeah. So greatly. And he essentially destroys them from within. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're not good criminals. No, uh, they they like appear to be, but then they pretty easily let Tim Roth infiltrate their uh, operation, you know, their gang or whatever. Yeah, for as like paranoid and like bitter as all these guys are, and like you know they have some of the worst qualities of like masculinity in all of them. They really let this rat walk right in. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of impressive. Uh, uh, I, you know, I don't know if the young Tarantino was a, well aware of what he was, you know, implying with that, which I think is really sharp. But like you know, I don't want to project onto the movie, but it was like. Yeah, it's like masculinity literally caving from within. Yeah, uh, the killer was inside the house the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> the, the and and I love the uh, the kind of tragic bromance between him and Kaitel. Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> really, he believed in him. yeah, he really did believe yeah. in him. I, I said to Justin uh, when I was doing the rewatch for this, I texted him like. Why did he tell him that he was the cop? He was he was gonna die. He should have just let him die. Yeah, and take not it to the grave, him. baby. Um, this is also one of the first Tarantino movies that had the the N word trope yes. in it. Um, I will say, as an African American man, and I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, Cam. I uh, didn't age well. No. And uh, also, another comment I have to make on this movie—I don't know if people remember 
it has one of like the worst video games I've ever played that was like made like for this movie. I don't know if people actually remember that Reservoir Dogs got a video game spinoff, which is fucking like, insane. I had no idea. Yeah, it's, what's the it's, like, again? Uh, I think it was for PlayStation and Xbox. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was for PlayStation Two and Xbox Three Sixty, if I remember. What was like correctly. a bank robber game? Had to be. It was based off of the movie. It was like based off of the, like the movie, like. And it's banned in, like, Germany and Australia, if I remember correctly. Like, it got banned, like, for how violent it was. That at sounds the time. Right. That sounds very yeah. unlike the Germans. I need to... Oh my <laughs> yeah. They're like, trying to re- restructure their image, Eric. Come okay. On. Uh, but yes, Reservoir Dogs, uh, I, I mean, not much to say. I mean, it's, it's pretty... It's pretty you know, um, it's an ex- yeah, it's a tight movie. Yeah. Honestly, like people think it's like confusing. Probably the shortest movie too. Yeah, it is by leaps and bounds. People think it's more confusing than it is because Pulp Fiction comes right after it. But it's a pretty straightforward. It's lean. Yeah, again, it's not the greatest. I th- I think its reputation is enhanced because of what QT became afterward. Yeah, but it's still a good movie. Like I would probably still keep it in the the video store. If, if I had, I would probably keep most of these in. Yeah, yeah I'll keep it. I, I think you got to keep it just because it does set yeah, the, it. it sets the tone and DNA for like his very inventive writing style with like overlapping narratives and and the way that men talk to each other. Yeah. Um, oh, look at that perfect timing. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's the reputation has been bolstered because of what this led to, but. I could watch this movie anytime. And it, yeah. it slaps. <laughs> you can't. You can't not. If his career is so referential, you can't not have his first movie. Yeah. yeah. So uh, next up on the slate, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Right now, Yolanda. We're not gonna do anything stupid, are we? Don't you hurt him. Nobody's gonna hurt anybody. We're all gonna be like three little Fonzies here. And what's Fonzie like? Come on, Yolanda. What's Fonzie like? Cool. What? Cool. Correct the mundo. Released in 1994, literally two years later. What more can we say about this 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 epic movie that hasn't been said already? Uh, it's 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 really, for, for all intents and purposes, a pulp comic. I mean, yeah. a lot of stories are intertwined in a non-linear fashion. Another it's, crime caper. Another crime <laughs> yeah. caper. Uh, this time with like really kind of slight supernatural elements in certain parts of the of the movie. Yeah, it gets a little fantastic points. Yeah. Um, but really, I, I you know a lot of people will consider this one of the greatest movies of all time, which is insane. It's only his second movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right after a movie that people consider one of the greatest ending movies of all time, but superstar cast, all star cast, if you will. Yeah. Um, I mean, literally one of one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. I remember it was being shown on, cin- on Showtime a mm-hmm. lot back in the day, and that's when I yeah. first saw it. I was very young. Um, I want to say about twelve or thirteen at the time when I first saw Pulp Fiction. But uh, a movie that, I mean, really is unapologetic in its violence, in its language, in pretty much anything, and kind of bolsters the, the idea that Quentin Tarantino in these movies pretty much does the movie that he wants to do without anyone, you know, tampering with yeah, it. Yeah, and no one else can do it. No. Uh, the nonlinear structure that he kind of became famous for, off of Reservoir Dogs, but like cemented himself with, with this one, I think I noticed it this time around. It's really spectacular because it's not, it is nonlinear, but the way he does it, it actually allows for the story to seem, to have like a more traditional structure. Yeah, yeah. Because if you just followed all of the events linearly straight through, it would be like kind of boring and weird. Yeah. (laughs) So even though he uses time in ridiculous ways, what he ends up with actually feels very much like a, a regular story. Yeah, I, and that didn't. That is a great observation because it doesn't. You don't feel the collapse of time and space no. until Bruce Willis is 
in the apartment and, and, he, and mows down John Travolta yes. the, when the toaster pops out and like okay now well, I amazing see amazing moment too yeah, like one of the, it's incredible yes. and sound design and like and just like intention just like him opening the door like this this calculated cool hitman this whole movie we see cool smooth can be dancing uh, winning you know over Marcellus Wallace's wife dies on the shitter like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like I don't know there's something amazing about it I saw this somewhere online years ago this is not my thing but three times in the movie and third strike you're out Vince goes to the bathroom and something bad happens Oh. he goes to the bathroom and then Slow Uma date. does his his drugs he goes to the bathroom and that's when Pumpkin and Honey Bunny stick up the restaurant oh shit and then he's oh, wow. in the bathroom when Bruce kills him there's always like and we can talk about the the death of culture when it comes to Easter eggs, but like this felt refreshing at the time. Like, yeah, we're, we're so beat over the head with Easter eggs. Well, and... it, it felt so refreshing at the time that it's almost a, it's tropic to even like talk. The fact that a movie podcast is talking about Pulp Fiction is like, <laughs> la, 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 the, like the... and that's the thing. Things be, do become so cool and so big in pop culture that it's boring to talk about in a yes. way. But like this is one of the rare things that deserves, I think, the praise. I remember just to go back to what, like the first time we saw it. I remember my parents would go see this. I must have been seven. Yeah. And they came home. My dad, my dad must have just turned forty. My mom was late thirties, and like I remember them coming home and being just jazzed. Like they had this, like they were like buzzed, you know. Yeah. Like, they was just like they hadn't seen anything quite like it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember. I remember two movies they came home from: Heat and this. And it was just like my dad. I mean, obviously that speaks volumes. Like how cool my dad thought it was. But like, <laughs> but like the, these movies, you know, these movies were pops of fresh air that you know sort of cemented themselves as different, which was you know rare in cinema. So, uh, since, since we've talked about this movie ad nauseum so many times, I want to get you guys' opinions on what is your favorite, uh, what is your favorite kind of side story or storyline in the movie? I'll start with you, Cam. What's your favorite storyline in the movie? Um, I really enjoyed the Uma Thurman, John Travolta aspect of him taking his boss's (laughs) wife on a date night pretty much to entertain her and... Every all hell breaking loose. Uh-huh. That's basically like my favorite part of the movie, to be honest Risky. with you. Like, because I, I really thought she was dead, and I was wondering like, how is he really going to get out of this situation? Because you, your boss leaves you his wife to like entertain while he's gone. He <laughs> yeah. comes back and she's dead, and your boss is like this huge like crime lord or whatever. I don't even know what Marcellus does, and that's the yeah, crazy exactly. part about it. Just to, to go along with this theme and to go along with what you just said, Cam. After this re- rewatch from a couple weeks ago. I totally agree with you, and I think that it is really cool to see all the ways he subtly slips, like, smaller stories into his movies, and in both this movie and Jackie Brown, there's, like, a really subtle, just genuine romance story in the movie, and the thing that's great about this plot with Uma Thurman is that his worst fear, like, does come true, like, it ends up being a really good date, and then he's talking to himself in the mirror, like, don't bang your boss's wife. Like, don't do it. And then Tarantino subverts our expectations on that by having her almost killed from a drug overdose instead. And the scene, even though it's so intense when he goes to the drug dealer's house, it is fucking hilarious. I mean... Other than the N-word, once again. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I will say, the the depiction of the the N-word, while it is weird that he uses it so often, he does use it pretty consistently... Anybody who uses it is portrayed as a scumbag, yeah, more or, or, or an idiot. Yeah, like yeah. The, the criminals in Reservoir Dogs who use it, and they're talking about black criminals. 
and they're talking about it as though those criminals are worse, even though their own criminal operation is falling apart yeah. as they're <laughs> saying this. Yeah, like, the they're whole... fucking idiots. And then, you know, the, for, to the slave owners in, in Django, every, people who use it tend to... All right, we're going to get that. Yeah, we're going yeah, to yeah. get to these stories because yeah. uh, time's yeah. almost up. Uh, I'll keep mine quick. I, I go with Butch every time. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is one of Bruce Willis's best performances. I haven't said that in a really long time. Um, <laughs> just, I, 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 li- I like how that, in the, in the midst of this sort of you know, adrenalized sort of drug crime caper is this like kind of endearing love story all of a yeah. sudden. Like I th- the love story works and then it, within that mini story is that micro story of Christopher Walken putting the watch in his ass. It's just so epic. And it's just That's like, the and then it goes, and then it goes back and then, and then like the, the, the narrative flow is not really interrupted. I just think it's a really sweet, it's like this, that's Tarantino has these moments of sweetness that are very, always overshadowed by the blood spill. And I think that was it. And, uh, then that leads to the most epic scene with the gimp, and then it's just like oh, yeah. I, I was gonna say that Butch is is, is probably my favorite, but the, the the rape scene is still something that like it haunts me. It was it's literally like that was taboo at the time. It's the, yeah, I, I still mean, don't think I've seen anything like that. Well, just the way it's shot is like it because it's it's almost out of frame, but yeah. like not really. You're like oh it. fuck, like, yeah. oh my god, uh, and then of course the. The fucking he gets his yeah, and it's so it's such a precursor to Kill Bill that it you know I mean a as this rape is going on he's going through the choose your weapon screen for like ten minutes <laughs> so but good. it's so good and then he of course ends up with a fucking katana I yeah. mean I, I mean I mean if there's anyone that knows how to give people their comeuppance it is Quentin Tarantino yeah this is like one cathartic movie. violence yeah. is what he's been doing for twenty five the, years the guys shop owners white supremacists yeah he I, fucking hates them yeah. yeah. If there's he is not he he's one of the rare mainstream filmmakers who says no these are race these are racist people he doesn't call them racially tinged yeah. or racially insensitive these are white supremacists and we're going to watch their fucking dicks get cut off <laughs> wow all right so are, are we keeping pulp fiction in the movie i to. mean it, it might be the Easily. if you opened a video store it might be the only movie you had to have in it yeah absolutely <laughs> like, yeah. So there we yeah. go. We are we are right at time. How are we feeling, fellas? How are we feeling? Feel great. This, this feeling is great. Yeah. My uh, favorite thing about this episode is that it actually like really reestablished how much I like the guy. Yeah, yeah. he's 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 a he's a fucking legend. You know, yeah. there, there's there's nobody like him. There's no one that's gonna be. We, there, we can't have a filmmaker after him like this. Yeah. No one else does it. Yeah. Like PTA is his own stripe, but obviously like. The Resident Evil movie is great. <laughs> right. Uh, like, PTA came up idolizing him, there, but it was like, um, I think Tarantino said, it was like Marlon Brando and Montgomery Cliff, like, the, the two greatest actors of their time periods. Like, I, you know, people want me to hate Montgomery, but like, I won't, I, he makes me better. Like, I have to have You're this guy here. You're referring to PTA. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I have yeah. to have him here or else, like, yeah. this guy will wash me. It's going to yeah. keep me better yeah. than everybody else. Like, um... But yeah, I don't want us to get lost in that discussion. But yeah, it, it's impossible not to sound hyperbolic, hyperbolic when you talk about QT because it's like there are some annoying fans who like are intentionally trollish when they talk about him. They are usually white neck bearded bros. But like he has contributed to the, to the zeitgeist in a such a significant way. You have to sometimes gush over it. Yeah. I, 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 the dude is making original fucking movies that we don't have anymore in a sea of like Marvel fucking. Glut bullshit. Exactly. That's that's what I want to be excited exactly about. How this. I feel. That's exactly how I feel about it, Eric. Like I agree one hundred percent. Like, like I think you said something in our group chat. Like I think earlier this week or like over the weekend that really stuck with me. Like 
going to the movies and watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and just, like, not knowing what's coming next, like, not having, like, everything yeah. spoon-fed to you. Like, you go on a, on a trip and you get taken on so many twists and turns. Like, I think that's refreshing as well. Yeah, just going like, in and just, like, watching something original. I don't need to watch this. I didn't need to watch 13 other movies to know what this one was about or where this one is going to lead in six other movies. It's just like these these self-contained little epics that we get to go on that is every five years or whatever yeah. it takes for him to release something. It's, it's nice, too, to know that like the cheering thing and like be loving what's going on on screen that people talk about like happening in Marvel screenings actually does happen in like real movies that are good. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it, was, it was so, yeah. I mean. We had a great crowd. Yeah. yeah. But we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let, let us, let's go back to 1997, a very long layover time before the release of this movie. We ready, Eric? Let's hit it. Would you like to hear some music? Sure. Cool. You know, I couldn't wait to get home last night and wash the gel out of my hair. Looks nice. Thanks. You never got into the whole CD revolution? Oh, I got a few, but I can't afford to start all over again. I mean, I've invested too much time and money in my albums. Yeah, but you can't get new stuff on records. I don't get new stuff that often. Jackie Brown, uh, starring Pam Greer, Samuel Jackson, Robert Forrester, Brett, uh, Bridget Fonda, Michael Keaton, Robert De Niro. Holy shit. Yeah. He yeah. did it again. What a cast. Uh, Chris I, Tucker. Yeah, Chris Tucker as well. Uh, Epic great, performance. Great role. I think a lot of people remember his role in this movie. Uh, it is an ad adaptation of Rum Punch. Uh, a, a very great book that I surprisingly have read before. All right, there um, we go. It's a really good movie, but he changed the he changed the location, and I think it was in Florida in the in the book. Yeah, and this is it's L.A. I, I can see how this would be such a Florida fucking movie. It's, it feels like yeah. it would be yeah. just because it has to have the beach and some of the characters the yeah. way they look. But uh, Jackie, in, in this movie, of course, is a tribute to black exploitation movies uh, like Coffee and uh, Foxy Brown, which Jack, which. Uh, Pam Greer was, you know, a part of, but essentially she is, she plays Jackie Brown, a uh, stewardess who is smuggling drugs for... Uh, smuggling cash. Or, yeah, smuggling ca yeah. cash. And, and the book is drugs, and the movie is cash, and she is basically in over her head after, uh, you know, some, some things happen. Yeah. And she's in over her head with the police and with Samuel Jackson's character. Might be some racial profiling going on with the two <laughs> white cops uh, that track her down. They say some sort of gendered and racially, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Insensitive? No, like... Uh, racially charged. <laughs> racially charged, yeah. Well, what they do is they, like, they, they throw stuff at her in a way that's like, Jackie, we're not racist, but... Obviously, everybody else is, so, like, you got to go along with us. No, Michael Keane's partner's like, you're a black woman working for 11 grand a year. Like, well, of course you're smuggling drugs. 11 grand is crazy. When I heard they, that line, I was yeah. like, they, they, they plant In they, California as well, right? Yeah. 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 They, plant, they, they plant blow on her to get her to, to talk, and, um, yeah, it becomes this, again, like another QT staple of, like, this Petri dish where one event happens in the middle and it spreads to like 30 people outside yeah. and how it affects those different worlds. Uh, what I really liked about Jackie Brown, and I will say this, this is probably my top three favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. It's one of my top three as well. Um, I really liked the 
the rhythm of this movie, if you will. There, it is a long movie. Yeah, it, 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 it is it's like long his movie. longest feeling movie almost. Yeah, it, it, maybe because it. it lacks his other tradition, like many of the traditional elements yeah, of there, his movies. There are no, there is no like cathartic murder in it. Uh, it's very much a, a caper that happens in, yeah. in the second hour. A lot of it, but it is a lot of like cat and mouse game here between Samuel Jackson's character. And Pam Grier's character. And Robert Forrester. And Robert Forrester yeah. as well, who I really like his character. He's such a teddy bear in this movie. He's yeah. so good. He's so he's such a teddy bear, but also like totally badass. Yeah. Like he got nominated for an Oscar for this, did, which is he like did. Yeah. Okay, good. Which is like the perpetual crime of these Tarantino movies where he explicitly says, I am writing this movie to win Pam Grier an Oscar. Mm-hmm. I'm writing this movie to win Jamie Foxx an Oscar. Mm-hmm. I and all the white people from his movies get nominated. Yeah. Yeah. He has like explicitly said, I want this black woman to be nominated, and they overlook her, even though she's incredible. But he actually is really fucking good in this movie. He's the, Robert Forrester is the bail bondsman that she falls in love Max with. Max Cherry. Great Max name. Max fucking Cherry. Yeah. Um, the way he says his name yeah. is so good. I love the scene where she puts him on to black the Delta, music, uh, the Delphonics, Delphonics. Yeah. and he goes to the store. It's adorable. To, I was like, this movie is so fucking great. Yeah. Because it's, it's the like, moment of sweetness that he's good at that people yeah. overlook, man. It's sweet. It is It is such a... Tender. It's, it's rich in character as well. Uh, you have Robert De Niro's character. All time so right. funny. <laughs> the best. I can sit through it once. So <laughs> funny. Oh my God. That, that's the underrated part of this movie. Uh, Cam mentioned Chris Tucker's in this movie. This movie's funny as fuck. Yeah, oh my god. It's really fucking funny. It's hilarious. Uh, we saw, me and Eric saw this movie at the New Bev. Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys saw a lot? Saw a yeah, lot. we saw it at the New Bev. And it he was, was a, there, wasn't he? Was no, it he wasn't. That was, that was Christmas. That's right. Uh, but I, it was the first time seeing this movie. And was, was it 40, 70, 70 millimeters? I think it was 35. 35. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was the first time I seen this movie in such a long time. And I, it, you know, it was long as fuck. We got there at like 8, then get out to 12. Yeah, it was long. Um, but I, I was like, holy shit. Like, this movie is really, like, great. But it's also a really great L.A. movie. It's particularly if you live in the South Bay. Yeah. Like I do. Because it has Torrance, it has Delamo Mall, the old Delamo yeah, Mall. Yeah, it has it. Hawthorne. It has Hawthorne in it. He I, with all, the, all these bars, these divey bars yeah. in this. Oh my God. Uh, I mean, we're like sitting here gushing over the the environment of Jackie Brown. But I mean, really when it gets right to it, I, I have to ask, like, what is like your your lasting view of this movie? I don't hear it talked about a lot in his pantheon of movies, but... Uh, well, it, that's... It makes me fucking mad because we have this, like, bullshit discourse with, like, fake woke people who don't actually know any... I mean... I don't, I don't. I hate to like sound gatekeepery and whatever, but like people just don't know what they're talking about <laughs> when they say that he's like only interested in like violence and like racism. I'm like, you, you, have you seen Jackie Brown? Have you heard of the fucking movie? Yeah, like, yeah. what, what do you? It, it's, it's just frustrating to talk about, like because people who, like his most ardent defenders, us. Also love like his what other people would say is like his artsiest, most boring movie. Yeah, like. And I, I think it's because this was the first... I uh, didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. No, no, no. I'm, I'm uh, just, like, now mad. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting big mad over here because the discourse has been brain-melting over the last um, output of his. But um, I think it's overlooked because it's his first and only adaptation, if yeah. I'm not yeah. mistaken. And, yeah, it is It is a strange... It is a strangely rhythm... It has a strange rhythm to it because it is, like, a love story within this. The love story is on the, the surface of this. It's not just, like, a little pop of a, of a, a C or B story but it's like yeah there's also not a coincidence that it's, it's a female lead mm-hmm. yeah. and and this black woman is the hero, her, hero of this and 
it's 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 insane to me that this hasn't had like a revisiting where she is literally dunking on white cops dunking on samuel jackson's abusive misogynist character like it is a super she's a superhero in this movie of like cool calm collected she's the epitome of 70s cool and and when she leaves at the end it's heartbreaking that, that was when i was like I always, like, had a pretty big appreciation for this movie for being different, and, like, I slowly liked it more and more. This time around, when she leaves at the end, and then he gets that phone, yeah, and then, uh, then it's on, he locks the the reverse off, and Max picks up the phone, and he's, like, talking, he has to cut the call off, and then he, like, walks out of frame and, like, turns around, it looks like he's starting to cry or whatever. I couldn't believe how emotional I got watching yeah. that this time around. It just, just a spectacular, uh, almost yeah. western like too. I, th- I think what's lost on a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies is that they're very western like. He loves the western. Yeah. And now he's movie, only making western. Yeah. <laughs> and in this movie, uh, Jackie Brown is the cowboy who goes rides off to the sunset. Rides <laughs> off to the sunset. I love the lock as, as Pat said earlier. I love how they lock into her face as she's singing. Bobby Womack. Uh, Bobby Womack. And it, it fades of life from there. What a fucking great movie! Oh my god! I'm yeah. keeping it. I give it a ten out of ten. Yeah, I know. I know we've gone back and forth about what our favorite favorite is in the wake of Once Upon a Time, but I I give it up for Jackie. Yeah, I think Jackie's obviously. my number one. Like, I'm happy to rearrange my order anytime, but I, Jackie's number one. What do you think, Cam? Yeah, I love Jackie Brown. This is this is on my this is number four for me personally. Before we saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I loved it. I loved it when I saw it when I was. Like I said, when I watched it, when I watched all of these movies for the first time over like that two day period, this was the one that like stuck with me the most for some reason. And then like my favorite scene in it was when uh, Samuel Jackson kills Robert De Niro. Like <laughs> that's my favorite scene in the we movie. We were fucking beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> we were fucking Your beautiful. Ass exactly. Beautiful. <laughs> exactly. So like, it's great. Yeah, I'm definitely keeping it. All right. Ooh, that's so, the siren. So, uh, all right. This next movie. We'll, we'll split them. Kill Bill, because they come out uh, months apart. But he doesn't and, consider them. He doesn't consider these movies to be separate. I mean, I, it's it, we. Do you want to give us twelve minutes just to talk about both movies? That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, the good thing is, is that I would keep both. Yeah, so I it, think we're all gonna keep Kill Bill the series. Right? Yeah. Eric doesn't love two. Eric doesn't love two. <laughs> but we'll get to there. I, I could be dis- I could be persuaded. Yeah. Oh my glory! Okay, so Kill Bill Volume One, essentially Quentin Tarantino's. Uh, his ode to spaghetti westerns and Japanese samurai flicks, which yeah. again something we had never seen before. And let me just be clear: like, I don't think I'd be in this room with Pat. I don't think Pat would be in this room with us had it not been for this movie. Because I didn't. I don't think I understood a damn thing about movies or what they could be or what they, you know, what they spoke of for me as a kid without seeing this movie and what it did. Like. It was an anime, and again, like I was like 13, 14 years old. Like it was literally like my favorite animes all come to life on screen, and I fucking love it. It's, yeah, it's the perfect movie to me. This was the it, 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 for years and years. This was my the first one specifically was my favorite movie ever. Yeah, same. Uh, we were so young. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and like now, I would say it's it pretty like middle of the road for his movie. I still think it's a fantastic. I think all, basically every movie he's ever made is fantastic. But I think it's like pretty squarely in the middle of the road now for me. But what it did is is basically what you're saying is that it 
it didn't make me realize I wasn't like, oh, now I love movies. Like I saw Kill Bill, I love movies now. But it kind of made me realize that I'd always liked movies more than the average person, or that I was like more of an obsessive than the average person, and that like what where people were like, oh, there's anime in it. Like it looks goofy when she kills a bunch of people. Like that, you know, what's happening? I'm like, I think all this stuff is is cool. Like everything that people thought was bad, I thought was good, and for so long that meant the world to me. Yeah. Uh, Cam, when, what, what did you feel about Kill Bill Volume 1? Um, Kill Bill Volume 1 is honestly one of my all-time favorite movies, period. Like, I had never seen anything like this before when I saw it. I still don't think I have seen anything quite like this since. Hell yeah. Um, just the, the, the whole premise of, like, this, this woman is getting married, and she, at the day of her wedding, or... All of her colleagues pretty much come to kill her, and but she's not dead, and she like crawls basically crawls from the grips of death of death pretty much to come back and exact revenge on all of them is like amazing. And like Pat said, like the the anime aspect that's thrown in it when it's uh, telling the story of Lucy Liu's characters, uh, yeah, when it's on her origin and everything, I thought that was incredible. Um, the soundtrack, yeah, Whoa. yeah. The soundtrack is great. The soundtrack is great, and possibly one of the best soundtracks in a movie ever. Maybe I even said that. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think that that's really. I don't. I don't think that's a hot take at all. Mm-hmm. And then I just think that it, it get the the yellow jumpsuit is like <laughs> it might be the most iconic like costume. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's absolutely like, iconography. In, come in, on. Like, like I think that that's great. The the scene with her fighting. The blue uh, house. The Yakuza. It, it, like, it's just like, it's so much great stuff in this, in volume one that, like, you could spend a whole podcast talking about this one movie specifically, probably. But I have, I didn't have any qualms with it. Like, I think that this is, is pretty close to a perfect film, in my opinion. I don't think I had any real issues with Kill Bill. And, and guess what? Once again, she squishes the head of a white supremacist incel. Like, <laughs> like, in in the hospital, like exactly they, with a door. Yeah, uh, Buck, who's here to fuck or whatever his that name. That seems like. scummy too. Yeah, that, 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 that guy's Michael Keaton's partner in Jackie Brown. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I remember seeing this in theaters and not knowing what to think. I, I guess I was what sixteen, seventeen. Came out two thousand two. Uh, four. Four, so I was just maybe no three. Uh, two came on four. Okay. So yeah. I was, yeah, I was about to turn seventeen probably, and um, yeah, I, I think just the scope and ambition of it was a little overwhelming. Like, a split a movie split in two. Yeah. Well, and also just like the the uh, Orenishi um, sequence where it's like okay, cuts to anime for what you think might be like a couple minutes. It's an entire act of a movie. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like thirty minutes long, and it's like beautifully rendered though. It's like some of the greatest animation. I'm not a big anime guy like you guys. You guys know more, but like just the color palette of that was just like striking. And I was like, I don't think I appreciated it as a kid. Even like, of course, I like you know popped to the. Looney Tune violence where, you know, Lucy Luke cuts the guy's head off and, you know, the blood is like, you know, gushing, yeah. gushing out, <laughs> a, gu- a geyser straight out of his head. But like, just the, just the fucking like tenor of that movie and the verve of those fight scenes and, you know. Un- the sound design of the weapons. Like yeah. Um, when she fights, uh, I forget the young school, school girl's name with the, go-go. Go-go. Go-Go with, with the, um, with the ball and chain. Uh, there's a name for it. I'm blanking on that too. But with the spiked ball and just like, there's a brutality to it, but also like, there's almost 
it's so violent that it's become slapstick. That yeah. it's like funny and like it's graceful. Also, yeah. the 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 choreography is so spectacular. Gorgeous. It's a ballet. It's a literal ballet. There's actually a lot of politics in this movie that like not a lot of people talk about. Uh, we mentioned Oren's uh, how she cut the guy's head off, but she cut his cut his head off because she wasn't a you know what they considered a pure. Yeah. Japanese woman. She's like she half Chinese, half Japanese, and raised in America. Exactly. Yeah. Like that that was was part of it. Also, the idea of, of taking mothers away from their children is a, is, is another uh, idea in it as well. Yeah. Like when she fights Vivica Fox's character. Yeah. Shout out to Vivica Fox. Who again? One of the greatest fight scenes of all time is when she pops up at the house. Oh yeah. my god. And the door. The gun you know, in the cereal box is like crazy. It says kaboom. Yeah. On the, the cereal, cereal box. box. <laughs> yeah. I I think that Quentin had so much fun making this movie, and you could fucking tell. Um, it, of the two movies, this is absolutely the most action packed of them. I think the second one slows it way. This down. becomes more of a western. The second one's like a, it, it's a fake out. Yeah, yeah. it's she a what? Like in a casket, damn near. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a western in the Far East, like yeah. it's um, yeah. and it's you know it's it's this it's this it's this is what fourth movie he made if, if we're talking about Volume Two now. Yeah. You know he's he was halfway basically the halfway mark of his career, I think this was this guy like literally pumping the brakes on like, I think he's a guy who listens to criticism. Yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of bullish and pugnacious. He dismisses it publicly. Yeah, but I think he genuinely listens and tries to adapt even yeah. if he acts like a... I mean, I think of, once upon a time in Hollywood is, is that, evidence of is that. It's absolutely yeah. that. But like, he was like, here I am, like, I'm going to slow the slow down on all these sort of controversial things that you sort of lob at me and I'm going to make this really lyrical, elegant, like not like nobody, the body count is super low in this, and he's just like here's this homage to Eastern cinema that I yeah. obviously am a student of. Like what's also up? Also love story as well, yeah. a complicated love story. He loves the subtle love story. Yeah, I I think before we get to two, just talking about one, uh, these movies were were meant to be one movie. Uh, at the at the behest of the Weinstein's, he split it into two, uh, just for more money, obviously. Uh, movies did extremely well. But in the first movie, you see her take out half of the uh, the seven deadly sins. What, what, what were they? I don't think I can name the sins. Oh, they, no, the, no, the, the squad, the, the deadly sl- viper yeah, assassination squad. Viper. I was like, what, the, what movie am I thinking of with, with, with fucking assassins? <coughs> you're thinking of seven. I'm thinking of seven, yes. Uh, so she takes out a, a good a good number of them, and the, well, she, takes, she only takes out two. Yeah. In, in the first she only movie. takes out three total. She takes out, yeah, Oren's uh, little mentee. Yeah, yeah, and, and then uh, she takes out uh, Vivica Fox, and then she kills uh, she kills L, but L doesn't really she, does, she doesn't kill her. she doesn't kill L. He said specifically that he doesn't kill her. Yeah, he just takes her eye out. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. is so badass to just leave her in the fucking desert. You like want to talk about you want to talk about uh, <laughs> death played for humor? That's the that is a death play. Oh for yeah, humor. the L driver yeah. death is is gru- like it's like. Imagine what she's going through in that fucking trailer. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the the uh, the first movie, you know, throughout the whole movie, she's trying to avenge the the you know the betrayal and the death of her daughter, who was who she uh, was pregnant with at the time. You find out at the end of the movie that the daughter is still alive, which leads us into volume two, where she is currently driving to go meet Bill. But she, again, with the non-linear structure of all of these movies, you go back to how she got to that point where she meets up with uh, Bill's brother. Uh, who, who was played by Michael Madsen. Bud. Yeah. Bud. And, Classic uh, QT actor. <laughs> love him because there's a scene in two ways. Like, he's, he's sold his, uh, he sold his Hanzo sword. Or said he. Did he? No, because she fights L with it. Oh shit, you're right. That yeah, makes did. him a liar. But he, don't why did he lie to Bill there? Piss him off. Oh. Because they're like they're like <coughs> there's no loyalties to anybody. Yeah, and like their relationship I think has like soured because Bill is clearly like 
a rich cool guy and yeah. Michael Madsen is a bouncer at a shitty strip club and lives like he's the same with guys living in trailers but uh, <laughs> uh, he, he, I think he just told him to piss him off I love the uh, the fact that Beatrix who is the bride's name and we find I love the way they covered that up and, yeah. and revealed it and two um, he, she was like tracking him the whole way through and he knew she was there the whole time yeah I love and then hit her with the rock salt and then locks her in a casket and buries her in the cast. It makes me squirm. Fucking yeah. frightening. How do you feel about that scene, Eric? Uh, that's as a claustrophobic person. <laughs> it, it, the way he shoots that, it, it, you just feel every inch of suffocation, and because um, you, he shoots it from in the casket while the dirt is being poured on it. That's the worst it. part, man. It's horrible. I get my palms are sweating thinking about it, and like how that becomes a like a narrative or plot device into her, her tangential story of how she learned how to punch from six inches away or three inches yeah, away. Yeah. There's like this such such creative writing that isn't doesn't feel cheap. Like it, it, yeah. it, it everything sort of hits a beat that it's supposed to. That you're like, oh okay, this doesn't feel like he just created a, a way out of here. Like yeah. there's a mythology behind this that but, backs it up. But you do seem to have issues with the movie. I think it's really just the pacing. Like I, I like you guys dunk on me all the time for liking like slow, shitty art house films, and uh, <laughs> I, I honestly think I felt the pace in this one, and that was the first time I felt like like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a clean two hours and forty minutes. I didn't feel a moment of that. No, this one all. I felt like I remember the, the the pace not moving in a way that was like engaging enough. But it's like again, like me saying this is not his strongest is like. Dear God, it's leaps and bounds better than yeah, <laughs> most yeah. of the shit that came out that yeah. year or yeah. ever. Um, but yeah, uh, it just doesn't work in comparison to Chapter 1 because I think Chapter 1 had such momentum to it. Yeah, and I pre- I agree with this. And, yeah. I, and I think the switch up is, I appreciate it, Yeah, but it just isn't quite the same. It just, it's there, not the same thing. There isn't a lot of action. I think watching the movies, uh, have you guys watched the whole damn thing? The, the It's not really movie. readily available. It is. But actually for... Uh, he plays it at the at the New Bell. Yeah, and for for it wasn't this quite the same thing, but for uh, oh, it was for Wes's birthday like two years ago. We went to uh, the fucking graveyard. Yeah, and we watched both of them. That'd be uh, fun. It, it, Except the cemetery the, scene. The, the real murder was on my back. Yeah, there's no way that I've been to the Cinespia thing. Yeah. I, w- I saw Nightmare on Elm Street there. Yeah. It was not fun. It was cold. Yeah, yeah, it's not the most yeah, pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was cool to see them. Like I never, I don't know I did, that I'd watched them back to back in years. Yeah. So it was cool. I just, I just gotta say, I know we're running out of time, but we mentioned the new Bev, which is Tarantino's theater, you know, repertory theater here in Los Angeles. Uh, me and Justin walked it walked to go see uh, Die Hard on Christmas one year. He shows it every year, midnight screening. And I just wanted, as, a, as just a nice little character color for how much of a legend Tarantino is, the man was wearing, sitting behind us with his, with his, with his arms crossed, like trying not to be noticed, wearing a New England's Patriot hat with a Seattle Seahawks hoodie. And I was just like, all right, King, I see you. <laughs> just like absolutely haggard outfit. I'm like, all right, go on. Laughing his ass yeah. off. Just like, like he hasn't seen Die Hard 100 million yeah. times. He's a child. It was like, yeah. that's what I wore when I was six. Like I'd have like a Duke basketball <laughs> backpack and like a Virginia Tech uh, jacket on or something. Like, I, you know, just like a fucking idiot. But, uh, so Kill Bill Volume 2 pretty much ends with her finally seeing BB, her daughter, and Bill... And uh, she, you know, a lot of the movies built on, again, Quentin Tarantino loves giving us these uh, Chekhov's blank. So she learned the Chekhov's five, BB. Yeah, well, huh. no, not even that. She, it was the, the heart move, whatever it was called. The oh, the, the five-point palm exploding heart, heart, heart technique. 
and uh, she learns this way early in the movie. Yeah. And you forget all about it. And so you finally get to the point, and I love this part. I don't, I don't, like, I love the conversation they had about just, just the lives that they led. Like, she didn't want to be a killer anymore. Yeah, she wanted yeah. to be a mother. She wanted to be a nurturer. And Bill wanted her to be what he wanted her to be. And essentially, it becomes a story of, like, when adults, it's about a breakup. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, it's a breakup movie, and she goes in to give him a hug. Cam, are you okay? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Cam's crying just thinking about how touching and poignant this scene is. How she literally breaks his heart at the end of the movie. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. She literally goes in for the hug and gives him the move. He does does the seven steps and falls to his death, and the movie ends there. I mean, poetic. I I loved it. Um, It's a movie about literal heartbreak. I would would, keep this in there. I keep both movies. Yeah, I I keep both movies. I don't... You can't watch one without the other. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I I can't argue with that. It's, um... And the first one is so good that it, you know, compensates for any sort of, you know, uh, tonal or pacing flaws. Yeah, Yeah, I I definitely think you keep both. Come on, the punching out of the casket, I mean, come on. You punched out that motherfucker like the Incredible Hulk. Uh, but yeah, so that is Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2. Should we and break for the back half? We are going to break yeah. for the back half. I'm so glad you guys could get through that whole 12 minutes. <laughs> when we get back, we're going to go through the final half of Quentin Tarantino, uh, which which comes with some very interesting movies in the next couple of yeah. years for him. Going into, <laughs> going into the 2010s. He's, he's, he has been revealed to be the most progressive filmmaker Who's uh, also racist, yeah. hates women, and uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, this, this is yeah. The conversation changes after Kill Bill Volume uh, Two for that. for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're anyway. about to, we're about to turn a corner, and I think yeah, that's why it's a perfect place to stop. Yeah. yeah. So when we get back, uh, the second half of Quentin Tarantino uh, one year anniversary episode of Late Fees, uh, we'll be right back. Hey Warren, is there anybody in this place you could vouch for to give me a ride home? Fair lady. Your chariot awaits. You've been eavesdropping? <laughs> eavesdropping and can't help it here. I think I belong in the latter category. So, uh, Icy Hot, you offering me a ride home? I'm offering you a lift. If, when I'm ready to leave, you are too. And when are you thinking about leaving? Truthfully, I'm not thinking about it. When I do, you will be the first to know. Will you be able to, uh, drive later? I know looks can be deceiving. I'm a teetotaler. I've been drinking club soda and lime all night, and now I'm building up for my big drink. Which is what? Virgin Pina Colada. Okay. Why would someone who doesn't drink spend hours at a bar drinking water? You know, a bar offers all kind of things other than alcohol. Hmm. Really? Like what? Women. Nacho Grande platters. The fellowship of some fascinating individuals like Warren here. Uh, alcohol is just a lubricant for all the individual encounters at a bar room, of course. Ooh, that cowboy wisdom. I'm not a cowboy, Pam. I'm a stuntman. But that's a very easy mistake to make. How do you know my name? When you were talking with Warren, couldn't help it over here. Fair enough. So what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren. Who is this guy? Stuntman Mike. And who the hell is Stuntman Mike? 
Damn, I, I like, totally forgot about Death Proof. <laughs> we, we all did. Uh, welcome back <laughs> to uh, Late Feast. We're in the video store right now for our one-year anniversary talking about Quentin Tarantino, one of America's last great filmmakers. I think it's safe to say that. He's one of my faves. Uh, Tarantino, talk- innocent. We talk- <laughs> That's what I think. Like, the, the discourse around him has gotten so terrible that someone literally said this week, like, Tarantino's actually bad. And I was like, what did he do? Like, there, there's, look, before we get ahead of ourselves, there's plenty to criticize. His worldview isn't perfect. He's a rich, straight, white man. But to, and I, I feel like the same people who are, like, crying over conflating identity with art and not being able to, like, separate how you feel. Not, and I'm not saying separate the man from the art. I feel like that's a hollow and weak thing, too, and it excuses a lot of bad people and a lot of bad men. But, like, the way people talk about Tarantino now is just, like, the same way, like, I, when something gets too big or too cool in pop culture, yeah. it's easy to dunk on it. Yeah, yeah. It's it. the Pulp Fiction thing. Yeah. When I think, and it happens to be his, you know, little, his first, like, real auteur project was that. But, like, I don't know. It, it's mind-numbing. There are plenty, nobody seems to have, like, a clear art take. I'm not talking about, like, nuance in the middle bullshit. I'm just saying, like, I've seen some mind-numbing takes about Tarantino that just seem grossly unfounded for some reason and I'm not even like a stan like mm-hmm. I think the guy's great and I like a lot most of his shit but like I don't know man it's, it's Twitter's bad <laughs> so uh, let's go to 2007 uh, Quentin and one of his pals Robert Rodriguez have a great idea to bring movies back to where they used to be. Uh, <laughs> that was so fun. They're going to make movies great again, yeah. baby. Right as we say it. Yeah. Uh, by uh, making us feel as though we are in a double feature, uh, something that he would do for the new Bev. It's, it's an idea yeah. that's not lost on him. He does bring it back, but in real life. But they tried to do a big budget version of this with the movie Grindhouse, which was two movies put together in 2007 with uh, Planet Terror and Death Proof both directed by Robert Rodriguez for the former and Tarantino for the latter. He does consider uh, Death Proof one of the movies that you know it, are within his lineage of movies. Uh, the movie stars Kurt Russell, uh, Rosario Dawson, uh, who else? Uh, Jordan Ladd. Zoe Bell. Uh, Mary Zoe Elizabeth Bell. Winstead. Yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's movie. It's, and it's a very kind of subdued flick. It's, it's very much an exploitation film. Uh, very violent as well. It's like talking, 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 a bunch of murder, yeah. and then so much talking, and then just the shit getting kicked out of Kurt Russell yeah, for like I, half an hour. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. It's very hard for me to find it right now. Uh, I didn't watch it for the rewatches. I don't have much to say about it. I've seen it maybe four or five times. Yeah, I've seen it a lot of times for as much as I think it's kind of boring. Yeah, it's a boring... I think it's his most boring movie. I do too, but you gotta give it up to the guy that, like, there's still parts of it that are, like, fucking awesome. And that by the time that the car chase hits at the end, it's like, okay, like, this yeah. this part is awesome. And this is essentially his love letter to stunt uh, stunt people, yeah. which we see again in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. But, uh, Eric, Zo- how'd you feel about it? Zoe Bell, who is one of the main protagonists who leads the... You know, brigade a badass woman to ship's mast. Yeah, yeah. It's the game. Yeah, it's to uh, to the, the the truck or the uh, the car, um, who leads this you know brigade of badass women to to act, enact revenge on this absolute sexual creep, Kurt Russell. And it, it's not lost on me that like this was considered a flop. Yeah. And I remember watching this in two thousand seven, thinking like, 
oh man, is this it for Tarantino? Yeah. Well, nobody alive other than these two guys fucking knew what a grindhouse theater was in yeah. 2007. Like and it was a old like they didn't. Neither one of them was big enough to actually revitalize this concept in a popular way. Right. I mean, it was absolutely like a, an ego project. But like, think about again, it's not lost on me that two of his biggest flops in this period are with female protagonists. Yeah. Jackie Brown and then this literal, like, four women, three of them women of color. Um, and they're not even front and center. Let's be, let's remember, like, Grindhouse was sold on Planet Terror. Yeah. Like, we saw very little of Death Proof in the in any of the advertisements. It's because there's not a lot of trailer to cut. Yeah. yeah. But even that was, uh, had Rosario Dawson was the was the lead in that. Yeah. She was the, the you literal... You mean uh, Rose McGowan? Yeah, sorry. Rose McGowan was, was the... The savior of that film and like yeah i, I think this movie is probably the one i vis- revisit the least i thought it was kill bill 2 and i forgot about death proof <laughs> um but like there there is a a looseness to this that feels almost like it doesn't even feel like a tarantino no. movie a guy who sort of fetishizes how you know his, his formal grace and his you know his 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 energy and all this stuff. The energy is there because it's a car chase, basically for the latter half of the film. It's also like his lowest budget film that he had done in a very long time yeah. too. Yeah, because I think combined it was thirty million. Yeah, so you know, try to recapture the grittiness of, of the grindhouse days, but like, yeah, he, here he is. He writes a actual revenge thriller for for women to stomp out an incel. Like, <laughs> there's a fucking there's a fucking lineage of this within most of his films that like I feel like. Somehow gets overlooked when talking about like yeah he does make he does make movies that are very masculine and, and muscular and have a musculature to them and especially to the dialogue like how percussive his dialogue is but like it, we can't you know sort of whitewash <laughs> the other things he has done that yeah. aren't really male centric which this is one of them yeah and and the fact that he's also one of the only people doing that yeah uh, Cam how do you feel did you watch Death Proof Cam or do you remember this movie I've seen that I've seen I've seen Death Proof I remember the first time I saw Death Proof it was on Stars yeah and I watched it and uh yeah I don't think I ever went back to watch it in totality <laughs> after that first time like really the gist of this movie if you would asked me about this movie like randomly, I would tell you all I remember is Kurt Russell cars and getting his ass kicked at the end of the movie. Like that's really it. Like it's, I think that like Eric just said, I think that this is one of the like movies you would use to like kind of debunk the the whatever is going on now. This weird take that's going on about Quentin Tarantino using violence against women as a punchline. But I don't find myself going back to watch this movie at all. Like. Not that, and I don't think that it's terrible. I just don't have any personal connection or attachment to it. It was just kind of meh to me, to be yeah. honest. Uh, I don't think I'll keep this in the, in the video store. I will actually agree. Yeah, I don't think I'll keep this. What about you, Eric? It feels the least essential, and I know that might be a contradiction of everything I just said. Grindhouse as a whole, as a movie, yeah. is not essential at all. But it is an interesting fucking footnote for this guy who's literally at the height of his powers, which what it seems like after Kill Bill. Yeah. As far as creative powers, and like you know, he 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 was never making huge box office successes until the movie after Death Proof, where he had like four in a row, three in a row. But um, it felt like. It's like, you know, now it's like the inverse effect of like someone gets super big and as an actor or a writer and the first thing you want to do is make a fucking superhero movie. Mm-hmm. He went the other way. It's like, I have made 
these really interesting and unique genre movies, and now I'm at the peak of this power. What am I going to do? Make like an almost really unpleasant genre movie, but gives women the starring vehicle that you rarely see in a big budget movie like this. I don't know. There's something interesting to that. I can't really quite put my finger on it, but it does feel the least essential in the grand in the, his full filmography for sure. So yeah, I guess you don't keep it. Pam. Uh yeah, I'm not I'm not keeping Death Proof. This isn't one that I think is necessary to keep. So no, I think I'm passing. If not if not for trying at least like yeah, I mean it's a it, it, it's I, a fascinatingly weird movie. Yeah, uh, it does have one of his best lines ever, which is. Who the hell's stuntman Mike? And he's a stuntman. So it, <laughs> it's it. It's so it's so good. Also, sort of, I think it might be the first that egregiously introduced us to Tarantino's foot fetish. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. Nick Kill Bill has it. That's so many shots. Wiggle your big toe. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then when she's fighting, uh, because it's that's true. the fight choreography lets him do so many foot shots. Yeah, that's true. This one, but this one leans into it a lot. And, and uh, actually, Uma's dancing barefoot in Pulp Fiction. Oh yeah, uh, it was always there. Yeah, yeah. I just think uh, that's this... really front and center here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really front and center. Uh, let's go to 2009. Let's do it. Ten, ten years later, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, I think when people had heard about him making this movie, they were like, "Huh?" <laughs> like, two years later. Two years. You said ten. It freaked no, me out. No, we're ten years later from this movie. Oh, gotcha. We're in 2019. I'm sorry, I, I should have been more clear there. <laughs> I was uh, like, wait, that's no. a huge leap. No, when people heard him making this movie, uh, they were like, what? He's going back to Nazi era? Yeah. Like, what? what's he going to do? And I assume you know who we are. You're elder, the Apache. <laughs> but weren't you heard of us, you probably heard we ain't in the prisoner-taking business. We in the killing Nazi business. And cousin, businesses are booming. Oh, yeah. That leaves two ways we can play this out. Either kill you or let you go. Up the road a piece, there's an orchard. Besides you, we know there's another crop patrol fucking around there somewhere. If that patrol were to have any crack shots, that orchard would be a goddamn sniper's delight. So if you ever want to eat a sauerkraut sandwich again, you got to show me on this here map where they are. You got to tell me how many they are, and you got to tell me what kind of artillery they're carrying with them. They can't expect me to divulge information that would put German lives in danger. Well, now, Werner, that's where you're wrong, because that's exactly what I expect. I need to know about Germans hiding in trees. And you need to tell me. And you need to tell me right now. I respectfully refuse, sir. Actually, Werner, we're all tickled to hear you say that. Quite frankly, watching Donnie beat Nazis to death is as close as we ever get to going to the movies. Donnie! Yeah! Gosh, German here wants to die for country. Oblige him. And glorious bastards. You want to get eight on the clock here uh, so we can we can start this up? Let's get it. Ready? Hit it. All right, so, Inglorious Bastards starring Brad Pitt, uh, Christoph Waltz, uh, Michael Fassbender is in this movie as well, uh, Eli Roth, uh, Diane Little Kruger, Sam Levine. Every, literally a lot of people in this movie. Great fucking cast. I know a lot of you guys in... Uh, the video story here on the show would consider this your number one Quentin Tarantino movie. You have eight minutes to explain why. Uh, I mean, it's basically uh, a blast from start to finish. I think it's, it, save for maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think it's his most fun movie. 
it was one of the I saw it at Comic Con in two thousand and nine, about a month or so before it came out for real. Uh, Eli Roth was there, and it was the first time he'd seen the movie, uh, so he was fucking so hyped about it because he gets such a cool scene, obviously. Uh, and I just remember being so so wowed by, obviously Brad Pitt's performance and uh, Christoph Waltz's performance and yeah, Diane yeah. Kruger, who I think is really good, but. Uh, and Fassbender, and uh, not for nothing, uh, Mike Myers. Yes, uh, and B.J. Novak. Yeah, B.J. Novak is uh, in the final shot with Brad Pitt at the yeah. end. Uh, and I just, I mean, the ending is just w- one of the all-time greatest Cathartic? endings in a movie. Cathartic, to say the least. Yeah, and surpri- just shocking at the time, being like, oh, what's happening here? Well, what's crazy about this movie is that it is very revisionist, but you don't see, you don't, really get the grasp of the full breadth of how revisionist this is until that the moment. The very end. Yeah, and you realize like, that both the bastards and Shoshana have succeeded in their plan. Yeah. And so Hitler's getting shot to death while the theater he's in is just being eviscerated by flame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, no, keep going. This the, is your baby. I, the dialogue is... solo can we go here in a second? I think the dialogue is just so fun uh, for everybody. Uh every scene I think is you could watch every scene individually on YouTube and just have such a good fucking time <laughs> so true uh, fucking slap yeah I mean Pitt like, like I mean just in the like or in the Nats killing business cousin <laughs> business is a uh, booming like surprisingly he's not even in the movie as much as like Shoshana is in yeah yeah and he's great but he's it's, 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 it makes me so happy that we got this follow up Pitt Tarantino collaboration because I think uh, Rain is one of his best characters yeah. ever, and th- between Rain, Landa, and the ending, it's just uh, it's magical, and it has all it has everything. It has the it has Sam Jackson doing the narration briefly. The movie's hilarious. Yeah. Or let Cam, let yeah, Cam, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Cam. Uh, <laughs> no, that is really like hitting home runs left and right, right there. But uh, I love this movie. I it, it it was on Netflix for a while, and it's like, back. It's back on Netflix? Yeah, I watched it last night. All right, well, that's bad news for any productivity that I plan on having. <laughs> but uh, I, I would, I literally, when this was on Netflix, I literally would watch this, like, once a week. Like, I remember the first time I saw this movie in the opening scene with, uh, where Londa and the Nazis, or the Germans, they, they go to, to the... The farmhouse. Uh, to the farmhouse, yeah, the farmhouse. And I remember just, like, being, like, Terrified, it's like, because, yeah, exactly. Because, like, you really you know what's about to happen before it happens. When it, it's just a matter of time, pretty much before the act that he where he kills all everybody in the floorboard happens. But it's like you 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 know what's about to happen, and the fact that um uh, Sasha uh, I said Sasha wrong name <laughs> but um Shasana escapes, and that basically lays the foundation for what's about to happen for the rest of the film. Uh, like I think that this is one of Brad Pitt's one of the most enjoyable roles I've seen him in in a movie for sure. I thought that Christoph Waltz was amazing. I think this is the first time I ever seen him in a yeah, movie. Yeah, it was America's introduction. Yeah, I think he was in like the Seth Rogen Green Hornet movie. Remember that? Yeah, that was, I think that was his. First, that was when they were like after when the Oscar oh, prestige actor. Like yeah. now you get to do a cool big budget thing. Yeah, yeah, and it was like one of the superhero movies that wasn't one of the good ones. Yeah, so it didn't work I hope out he stays for him. Away from him. He's done some bad movies. I, I don't think he's really that good. I don't even think he's that good in Django. 
he was so good in this that they gave him the Oscar for Chingo. But he's, <laughs> yeah, that's unfucking believable. Wow, what a take! By the way. Yeah. What a take! The fact that he got an Oscar for Django over Fox or Leo yeah. is crazy. I, I thought yeah. Leo. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of the put the horse in front of the cart here or cart in front of the horse, but like Lee, that Leo was the supporting actor of, of Django. Yeah. But we'll get to that. So I keep going, Cam. I I, I love Inglorious Glorious Bastards. It's in my top three, I think. I mean, yeah. you're yeah. Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the fucking movie. All right, it, it's like rarely do we get to see Jews fighting back in movies and 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 kicking ass and taking names. We had Munich, and that's re- and that's really it. <laughs> that movie's boring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eric Banner goes hard for a little bit in that, but his hair uh, looks amazing. Yeah, he's a good looking guy in that. Um, but I, I love. I believe her name is Melanie Laurent, yeah. who, who plays Shoshana. Yes. There's that moment where she gets invited by. Um, Christoph Wass is Nazi general or Nazi, you know, captain. He's more like a, a Goebbels type um, to bring her to the cafe. And he's like, I want to show this, you know, you know, Nazi propaganda film in your theater. You're the best theater in all the land. And like, he doesn't know that it is Goebbels. What is that? I think it is Goebbels. Him? Yeah. It's supposed to be. I admit, yeah. That would make sense. Um, and he's, you know, pitching her on this, you know, uh, Lenny Reifenstahl kind of. Nazi propaganda that he wants to show there, and he doesn't know that it's the young girl who escaped his uh, farmhouse um, blitzkrieg in the beginning of the movie, or, or maybe he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, but he plays this cat and mouse psychological torture game with her, where he's ordering cream and like he's being oddly smug and effervescent, but like detached, and it's like it this and she keeps a straight face and she's not like acting like you know sycophantic to him, even though she knows he, he can kill her. And he's like, try the cream, try the pie. And then, like, as soon as he goes away, she does this, like, <gasps> like this exhale. It's yeah. like some of the finest, like, nonverbal acting I'd ever she's seen fantastic. on screen. Yeah, Her she's... trying not to lose it on this motherfucker yeah. is a great fucking And again, having to be a woman and not, you know, around these people that were oppressing yeah. women. Occupying having... the fucking, yeah. And yeah. then having to show him so much grace. Yeah. Hard, hard scene to watch. Yeah. I think she handles it very well. I think this movie is fucking spectacular as well. Yeah, it's just like cool. It's fucking cool. Yeah. It's so cool. Like to to write this fucking, you know, he he took the lessons he learned from Death Proof and 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 uh, Planet Terror. That he brought the grindhouse elements to this exploitation. It's an exploitation flick brought to the high art, like high art, high brow shit. That's like with this snappy dialogue, incredibly like it's a it's a it's a crockpot boiler plate not boilerplate but like uh it boils over in a way that like you know, he's a master of tension the basement scene with the different threes yeah with you uh, know, god where they're playing the card game yeah. and like the shootout in the bar to just the end where you know they the, she lights up with the nitrogen the nitrid nitrogen yeah, yeah. film that, that gives off nitrogen that's super flammable the pumping lead into hitler it's just like when her face is on the smoke and the fire in the projection yeah like, oh, oh god and the flames like ah, i got you nazi bitches <laughs> like it uh, showed that, that Tarantino still had it. And yeah. he still had the the same coolness that he had for Reservoir Dogs, same coolness he had for Pulp Fiction. He was able to, to implement that in a time where it wasn't cool. Yeah. Like, it wasn't cool yeah. to be cool. It was, it was terrible. I think we're all keeping a glorious bastard. Oh, it's a yeah. masterpiece. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's in my top three, but it's, but it's absolutely a masterpiece. It's, it, I can watch this movie anytime. And like Pat was saying, like you can just pull up any u- ran- random YouTube clip and it plays like its own mini-movie. With the, that keeps you like sort of contained in the world, and it's just as snappy and fun and just fucking amazing. Yeah, you're you. It's cool. It's, yeah. it's so fucking. It's like cool. a movie. Like like fuck. If I that's a movie I would want to write. Just yeah. like hard. All right, twenty twelve. 
Kind of got shout out to Bear Jew. Jew Bear. Bear Jew. Bear Jew. We're going to 2012. Let's put eight on the clock, Eric. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about. You better listen to your boss, white boy. Oh, I'm going to go walking in the moonlight with you. You want to hold my hand? <laughs> Django Unchained, starring uh, Jamie Foxx, uh, Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kerry Washington, and Samuel L. Jackson. This is the first time that uh, someone's been back to back on these movies like Christoph Waltz did. Uh, Samuel Jackson did Pulp Fiction. Tim Roth did all of them. All of them. Yeah. Uh, this again was a, a western, a slavery era western. Uh, more a southern western. Southern slavery. Aren't they aren't all western southern anyway? Basically, yeah. Uh, well, the American South is like the, the 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 past American South was like American Gothic is like the same environment, same setting as the West. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a frontier yeah, that just yeah. goes on forever. Exactly. So. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, essentially, Django Unchained is a revenge movie about the t- titular character uh, who essentially escapes through. Kind of miraculous means. Oh, I, this was the only one that I needed to rewatch, and I couldn't do a full yeah. rewatch of. I saw it so many times when it came out because I saw it at I saw it at New Bev on Christmas, which was great. Yeah, and then I watched uh, the screener season. Uh, I had one on my computer, so I just watched <laughs> that like ten times. With my parents. House. So I saw this with my friend Rayvon's family on Christmas Day. Yeah, and I was sitting next to his grandmother. And I remember her watching this and her, and I'll always remember this, you know, she's an older lady. She's at least like now she's probably in her eighties uh, or late eighties. I looked over at her when these not, when these fucking slave owners were getting killed. <laughs> her eyes were ablaze. Like she was smiling. I've never seen someone be so joyous. And that's yeah. why I always respect Quentin Tarantino because he, he has told stories and, and, and given people a view and a vision of really like what, what they want to see is cathartic, like seeing this this, this old black woman in complete joy yeah. <laughs> and all this violence. Like usually, if this was a, another movie, even another Tarantino been, movie. Yeah, she would have been like, "What the fuck is yeah, this?" Yeah. It was what it was. Yeah. It was what it was that made it meant a lot to her. Like she was literally holding onto my arm. So like the joke now when I when I see when I see her when I go to Rayvon's house uh, in Virginia, it's like she's my girlfriend. Like remember when y'all went to the, on that first date to go see Django, and I was like, you know, like I'll never forget that. But what I want to talk to you guys about, just so we don't have to, like, we, we all love this movie, but how do you guys feel about the racial, uh, the N-word stuff around this? Because I know at the time, Spike Lee was not a fan. No, I mean, he's never really been Never a been a fan, but this one was more like... I think they've since buried the hatchet, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But, Cameron, what were you going to say? I'm going to be honest with you, like, I feel like it's hard to shoot a slavery movie, a movie based in this time period, without using that word as much as it was used because of I think that it's an accurate depiction kind of of what was probably going on like I get the critique against Tarantino using it but I don't know like I feel like if you don't use it in this film as excessively as he does I don't know if it necessarily has the same impact if that makes sense like I don't think it resonates with with me personally as much because I feel like it was an accurate representation of of what the time period represented in a, in a movie Another person oh, who uh, wasn't feeling it was Will Smith. 
because he passed on the role. He passed. Yeah. Was, I was gonna yeah. say, wasn't he supposed to be? Was he was supposed to be Django? Yeah. Yes, like, he was supposed he, to be Django. He, my man passes on some good roles. But he, yeah. he passed it on being Neo too. I, I, I something tells me it's less to do with, uh, like, the, a, a, a moral decision versus <laughs> like a, a um, financial. Yeah, one. yeah, exactly. Because the guy is so sterile and brand conscious, which has sort of hindered himself as a true movie star, where like his counterpart and Tom Cruise will work with. You know, PTA or Scorsese or, or Spielberg. Being a fat suit. Yeah, or like yeah, <laughs> and or, or uh, Grossman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Les, Les Grossman. Uh, um, I think yeah. that what people ha- have trouble with, incorrectly, especially in in this movie, like in his other movies, if you want to talk about white characters using the word, then there is more of a discussion to be had. But I think in this, because the movie is meant to be, even though he's an incredibly artistically minded filmmaker, obviously, because the movie is meant to be consumed as entertainment and not art, it's treated differently than something like, I'm just going to use the most obvious example, but like, no one is saying that they shouldn't use the word in 12 Years a Slave. Right. And that's because it's an art, like it's an art film. It's like, it's not meant to be entertaining. But because Django is like, you know, more of a blockbuster, and it's Tarantino, there's an extra, you know, lens. There's a, yeah. there's a possibility the that it's undermining the severity of what is being depicted on screen, which yeah. I feel like is a fair argument until you see what happens to these people yeah. who are the perpetrators yeah. of this sadism and brutality, where even his, like, Elmer Fudd Australian character who uses it, <laughs> who is supposed to be, like, a sort of semi-woke westerner yeah. all of a sudden is like I'm like a, I'm the good slave master I'm like I'll be cool with you but you're still my property yeah. and he fucking like gets a stick of dynamite up in his asshole and blows up <laughs> shout out to the worst Australian accent yeah, of, of course. all time I know. <laughs> and that's what makes it like he again it's not my place to project a sort of you know bumper sticker morality on this guy but like he is so hyper aware of everything that he does when he writes and shoots that like there's no way He's gonna make a movie like this, and just be gleeful like, oh well, since I'm making it, you should be grateful, and I'm gonna just say the end. We're gonna have to deal with it. And be clear, like this movie is funny as hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Well. <laughs> it's so funny, and it's almost crazy that he wrote it with some of this. Like when Samuel L. Jackson's character appears, oh my goodness, I I still lose it. But it's like there were people, and, and again, this is played up. Of course, this is this is very much a a you know, dramatized version of that type of character and these types of people. Like, but at the same time, it's like, there were people, there were literally people that, you know, I was sitting next to or that have seen this movie before and they're like, yo, like, that is, that is what it is. It's like, this isn't just a stereotype. This is like a real archetype here of of people who are Uncle Tom's, who are people who were in the, in the houses with all these, all of these slave masters and trying to basically betray their own people to get ahead. Right, and I and I think the the twelve years a slave comparison is apt in that I think you need both. Where it's I Steve McQueen is a master, and and there's nothing nothing against him as a filmmaker. I think he's just as much of a genius. But to watch Twelve Years a Slave as a that feels more like torture porn to me yes. than what's happening in a Tarantino movie, where the brutality is even worse. But I think what makes this history lesson that much more palatable is watching these slavers get a come up and yeah. that we didn't get to see. And look, I'm sorry, say what you want, and nothing against Brad Pitt because he helped Plan B got Twelve Years a Slave made. Yeah. But like, 
the only reason why it got made was so and that the studio that he co-produced it with made this white savior in Brad Pitt come and be like, I'm going to help you. Like, and isn't nothing, he Canadian? Yeah, yeah. he's like this Canadian <laughs> white, he's this like benevolent white guy who like helps you know the black people. Like That's more offensive to me than, yeah. than anything else where it's like, we don't need this white savior trope just to make this historical lesson palatable or digestible. People where, will turn on you for complimenting a Tarantino movie and they won't bat an eye if you tell them you listen to Joe Rogan on the way to work. <laughs> <laughs> like they, yeah. That's, that's yeah. where we are. Like, yeah, we, we had to sit through Tarantino saying the N-word himself and Goggins and all these people. Like, that that castrations, attempted castration scene was one of, the, frightening. one of the most frightening things I'd ever seen. And, you know, and I saw white people, and I saw this in Houston, Texas, uh, on Christmas Day, and I saw white people laughing at that. And like that's that that's when it's like, okay, we need to be mindful of the kind of people who are consuming this because the wrong people are laughing at this yeah. at the wrong spots. But then I saw that same person kind of fold his arms when all the white people were getting blown away, which is like that's supposed to be the payoff, yeah. and that just speaks volumes to like, yeah, there are going to be the wrong people. This movie can be in the wrong hands, but they're going to eat crow when they see how these movies end and the people who get to come up and that don't normally come in these high art movies. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it's it's, yeah. it's totally true. All right. So I think we're all keeping this yeah. one. Yeah, we're all keeping this one. 100%. Leo's, 100%. Leo's unreal, Calvin. Oh, yeah. yeah, so, yeah I yeah. mean, you know, we yeah. talk so much about the rip, but Leo is... I think from the moment he's revealed in that trailer, the first trailer he's revealed yeah, in, yeah. and he makes that face, it was in? like, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. like, yep, I'm going yeah. to see this shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay. When, when he plays slick and oily and not his normal pretty boy cool self, he's the best. Yes. And that's, and that's very rare he does that. I mean, uh, come on, Calvin Candy? Yeah, great name. 2015, Hateful Eight. And it's men like you that will make a difference. Your military success is a credit not only to you, but your race as well. I'm very proud every time I hear news of you. We still have a long way to go. But hand in hand, I know we'll get there. I just want to let you know you're in my thoughts. Hopefully, our paths will cross in the future. Until then, I remain your friend. Old Mary Todd's calling, so I guess it must be time for bed respectfully Abraham Lincoln oh Mary Todd that's a nice touch yeah <laughs> thanks see now this is when we get into oh, very uh, volatile waters, I think. Yeah, it, it is the. I think this is the movie where the the N word racial thing kind of popped up. We are a year before the twenty sixteen election. We're a year before Me Too. Uh, it, it's you know. I think Me Too is like starting to happen. It's starting to happen point, here, yeah. but it's like again, the world is about to change. We didn't know it at the time. Yeah, yeah. But the world is about to change drastically, and this movie comes out, and. I would be remiss to say that I don't think that we were ready for it. I don't think that we were ready for anything that was that was coming before or coming after it, but I don't think a lot of people were ready for this movie at the time, at least. I think you're right, and I think I think Eric is about to say the same thing I am, at least. Uh, I, I liked it at the time. I mean, I saw it 
at the DGA with him there, and then one of the only black guys in the audience asked him about the use of the N-word in the movie and whether he was worried about people laughing at the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And in true Tarantino form, he he basically said, you know, I reject your hypothesis or whatever. Basically the same thing he said about yeah. whoever said the shit about Sharon Tate this time around. Uh, yeah, he's a child. Yeah, so he <laughs> he's, he's incapable of taking any form of criticism, especially in public. In the moment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, I watched it this afternoon, and I told Justin, he, he shot it in glorious 70 millimeter, and I watched it on a glorious <laughs> iPad. Uh, and, but, but it was the first time I'd watched it since I saw it in that theater, and while it is still weird hearing, you know, Walton Goggins say the N-word a bunch of times... Uh, every person who uses it is portrayed as a piece of shit who dies horribly. Yeah. I mean, you're not supposed to like almost anybody in the movie. The central character and best performance is given by Samuel L. Jackson, a black actor that has built much of his career with Tarantino and vice versa. I mean, it is a volatile situation, but even being now where we realize he's established himself as the primary killer of white supremacists on screen... It was a much easier watch. Like I was, and it, even my uh, initial reaction that I thought the movie was a little too mean to the Jennifer Jason Lee character because she was the only m- woman in the movie. Yeah. Now I just think about all the discourse around Sharon Tate, and I'm like, oh no, most of the defense of that can also be applied to the yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee thing, and she's also a raging racist. Yeah, it's like again, I know it's like frustrating to hear us he praise on like a a cis straight white man writing these sort of roles, but. This is the first mainstream movie I saw that actually took white women to task for their role in uplifting white supremacy. Yeah. Usually it's some buck fat redneck man. You know what I mean? Like, And I'm, I'm not trying to fashion. That's just how they're portrayed. Like, all southern bumpkins look the same. They're just fat men with, with you know, a, a, with the hillbilly accent. Uh, but here was Jennifer Jason Lee, and she was like the raging face of white supremacy, which like we found out six months after this movie came out that 63% of white women voted for fucking the white supremacist in, in office right now. And so, like, this is an angry movie that makes me angry. Uh, and while, like, you said this in your review. Like, Tarantino was marching in Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah. The fucking NYPD was telling people not to go see Hateful Eight. Right. Like, that is, that's unfucking yeah, believable. Yeah. I, 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 that's, that's not a small feat that I don't yeah. think we should ignore. Like, yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of tokenized activism that gets passed off as, like, you know, f- wokeness is foisted upon people. But, like, here is this guy who's been laudably or widely denounced as racist and unthoughtful and insensitive, marching next to Eric Garner's daughter. And before that, half of the movies we talked about, a lot of white people are dying in his movies to either women or black people violently. And in this movie we're talking about here, a lot of them died to one black person in this movie. Sam Jackson, by the way, the fact he wasn't nominated for an Oscar goes back to what I was saying. Like He writes these meaty roles for actors of color and women and they never get nominated. Yeah. It's just, it's a crime. Like, I watched this again recently as my you know as we were talking about, and just absolutely blown away by his command on screen. Like, when he wants to turn it up, he can. He turns it up, man. People think he's one note, and I think that's such a terrible re- that's mis- because misreading. All they wa- that's because all he watches is Marvel and Shaft. Yeah, it's and a terrible misreading. Shout out to shout out to Samuel Jackson invented memes with snakes on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like I, I'm, I'm here to entertain. I, I will listen to. I saw a lot of people who hated the ending, and I usually do hate endings like this. And it is a little clunky, where it's like the final. You know, there's the black and white horse running in slow mo together, and Walton Goggins and and uh, Samuel okay. Jackson like hanging Jennifer Jason Lee together. Like the racist becomes friends with a black yeah, guy. Yeah, there, there is this sort of 
pseudo harmony that I don't like, where it's like you know, white people like, it, but it, it does put, shift the blame on white people. Like, it is incumbent upon us to help, you know, these marginalized communities. And like, he was writing this in the shadow of Ferguson. Like this, mm-hmm. this movie came out a year and a half after Ferguson, so he was undoubtedly writing and shooting in this. You know, Tamir Rice was happening, and Walter Scott was happening. The world was changing. The world was yeah. changing, and like again, I didn't see any other white director literally saying Black Lives Matter. I saw every other white liberal saying All Lives Matter. And I don't think that it's easy to roll your eyes at that, and maybe that is deserved. But like, I also don't think that's a, something we can just hand wave away. And I think that influenced that anger. It's an angry movie, and it is uncomfortable, and a lot of it is mean spirited. But I'm willing to give it. I hated it when I first saw it, and yeah. I watched it again, and I've totally done an about face I, on I, it. I remember why you hated it. All right, full disclosure: the same way Pat saw this movie, <laughs> the DGA screening, me and Justin saw it at a BAFTA screening in West Hollywood with the whole cast, uh, and Tarantino came out and. Uh, I made it through that whole fucking three-hour movie just to see these guys. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to see Jennifer Jason Lee and Kurt Russell. As soon as they walked on stage, all all you could hear was me going, huh! Because I had to (laughs) run out of the theater because I was about to shit and throw up my whole asshole. I don't know what happened. I got struck by like mono or some sort of norovirus, but I was. Mono. It, it was like it was like it was like mono-like symptoms. I literally was throwing up in this prestigious. I was literally shitting and throwing up in this prestigious movie theater. Did you have to shit and throw up in the same toilet? No, but it, it was close. Oh, it was God. close. It was like oh, I was like shitting and I grabbed a trash can. This is like a scene from South Park. Yeah, it was. Oh yeah, when he gets kicked, Kenny's dad gets yes, kicked yes. in the balls a bunch. I like had to text Justin. I was like, I left my jacket, my jacket and all my shit. Please get it for me. I thought the I thought the Q and A was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was great. I was literally on my bathroom. I took an Uber home. I had to stop on the four hundred five and throw up out of an Uber. <laughs> I, I was I was kind of broke at the time, so I had to call Uber Pool. So there's a UCLA kid in there Snapchatting me throwing up. It was a nightmare, and uh, I just remember being on my bathroom floor for three days after this. And that movie is tied to that memory. It's so epic that you yeah. consciously called Uber Pool yeah. while you were in the <laughs> no, 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 that that was it. I I wasn't I, w- I wasn't broke anymore, but I was still in that. I'm, I got between phase. Yeah, I was gotta like mark my pennies everywhere. So yeah. I'm like, I could save eight bucks if I share a ride out to the valley <laughs> from the west side. Oh my god, what a nightmare! This was what four years ago. Yeah. Christ. Uh, where where do we stand? Eric, you're keeping it. Pat, you're keeping it. I gotta I, keep it. I didn't rewatch it, so I have no opinion. Uh, Cam, what do you think? Yeah, Cam, what do you uh, think? You like this movie? I've actually watched it. I've watched this movie like four times. Not even a lot of you. Jesus um, Christ! I don't that, know that's, why. That's like but, <laughs> twenty-four hours. Yeah, that's, yes, I've dedicated li- literally a day of my life to this movie, but um. I honestly, weirdly enough, I think I might keep this movie, to be honest with you. I think I might keep it. Like, I was actually entertained watching this movie a couple times. I don't, I don't know why I keep going back. I, I was just like, I like the dialogue. Like, I like yeah, it's the very talk-heavy. Yeah. Exactly. I like the, I kind of like the idea of one movie, of the movie taking place in one spot for the whole time with all these people. It's sort of like a happening. return to Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. 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 It is like Reservoir Dogs. Like, Someone isn't who they say they are. Yeah, they yeah, got guns yeah, pointed yeah. at each other, yeah. Um, Amazing score. Yeah. So um, that's it for all of his uh, current era movies. Are, are we going to go ahead and just talk about... Yeah, let's just do it. Time? Yeah, let's just do it. I mean, it's the, the we've done... This will be the only episode for the month, and it's the, the one-year anniversary yeah. episode. Yeah, hey, uh, this is big boy. That was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. Like you. Fucking 
So we saw it once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about this movie. Um, I think that I would echo the thoughts of everybody in this room and on the phone right now that it's probably one of the my favorite movies that we've ever went to go see together all together. Yeah, so I, I think I guess we should probably say uh, spoilers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yes. spoilers if you haven't seen out. it. I think even if you haven't seen it, Twitter has probably ruined this discourse for you. We're gonna talk about that scene. Um, I think it's the scene to talk yeah. about if we're going to talk about anything. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, turn the podcast off now. This was not only one of the probably one of the best movies that we've seen together. This is one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah, I think. it's 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 so fucking good. I don't have the I haven't had the liberty to see it twice, but I do think I might echo your thoughts if I see it again. Cam, did you see it again? I haven't seen it again yet. I'm going to see it this week, but upon the first watch, like I agree with. And uh, it's it, it really might be one of my favorite movies I've ever seen, it, and that's saying a lot. Like I don't usually feel that way after seeing something for the first time. Exactly. Just, I remember walk, the feeling like walking out of that theater and just being completely amazed by what I had just seen and like blown away. I was blown away. There's so many different scenes in this movie that stand out to me that are like that like were just made me laugh like uncontrollably um i think everybody is casted perfectly in this film like and like i like brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio are just like incredible like it it has to be one of my favorite duos i've ever seen in a movie it's like a tandem of two guys like do you actually believe that they're 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 friends yeah it's it was just gonna say it's hard to believe that they haven't actually been friends for 10 years yeah exactly um, so essentially the movie, I mean, the plot is very light, but it is essentially a movie about two, two friends hanging out. You've yeah. got Rick Dalton, who is a, who is a down on his luck, uh, actor who's bouncing around from show to show acting as so, you know, quote unquote, the heavy and, uh, Cliff Booth, his friend played by Brad Pitt, who is his stuntman, who if, you know, if Rick isn't finding a lot of work, Cliff is finding even less work yeah. and he's essentially, you know, been delegated to his, his driver and driver his, and assistant, yeah, basically. His, his assistant who can beat people up. Um, Sharon Tate is played by Margot Robbie, who is kind of like a... having a much better career than either one of them yes, right now. It's, it's I like uh, one one thing I really like about the movie is how you get to see like three stages of Hollywood careers. Like one guy who's never made it, one guy whose career is down downhill, and one woman who's about to have in the movie uh, a truly amazing career and who's just very genuinely and innocently delighting in how much people like to see her movies. Yes. Um, Again, I guess we just talk about scenes here because a lot of it is, is really like Leo coming to terms with... And again, like it's a three, it's really like a, a movie in three acts where it's like between the characters though, where it's like Leo coming to terms with who he is and where he, where he sits. And within the day of the, that the movie takes place, he learns, you know, I still do have it. You know? yeah. and, and then Cliff uh, learning, kind of finding out a sinister truth behind something that's not really what it seems. And Sharon you know, really coming into her own and realizing that, hey, I, I finally made it. Yeah, with, like, this idyllic afternoon. Yeah. Uh, um, what, I mean, where do we stand with just the creation of this movie in itself? Like, we didn't really know anything about it until we walked in and saw it last Thursday. Yeah. Like, the trailers do not paint the picture, but also they kind of do, because you, what you see is in the trailers is what you get in the movie. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I guess you have to talk about the ending. I've been saying for a long time that I was hopeful that this was what the case would be with the ending, like the revisionist history type of thing. It was a way better version of that than I could have ever imagined. I mean, just uh, uh, 
spectator. Like, even Hateful Eight has it a little bit less because it's kind of like weirdly more cartoonish than the other two, even though those are ridiculous. But he has these huge endings now, like his big sequence endings where like it's a, just a big fucking fight. It, like Bastards, uh, Django, Hateful Eight, and this. Like there's a, it's just a big throwdown at the end. And this version of that was so amazing. And I, the only other thing I really knew about the movie going into it was the three-day structure part of it. And even that wasn't really what I yeah. expected from it. I think the big meaty part of the movie uh, where you know Leo's on set with the girl, <laughs> Brad's at the ranch, and Margot is in uh, Brentwood Village or Westwood Village, uh, you know, those three things are, you know, the big defining character one for each of them. Yeah. So I guess we talk, talk about the discourse surrounding the ending. Yeah, we can of, get over get it over with and yeah. then talk about more stuff in the movie. Of course, the Manson family is featured in this. Uh, Charles Manson featured for, I, I mean, barely five minutes. 20 here. seconds? Yeah. Uh, just just kind of scouting out the house of, uh, of Sharon, Sharon Tate, Tate. And, yeah. and, and Roman Polanski. Uh, but the also know, not in the fucking movie. Yeah, not not well, barely in the yeah, movie yeah. as well. Uh, they do play up in the third act that this event absolutely was or was happening. Uh, I do think it's very slick how they did it. They did it in a very TV show procedural kind of way, like almost like FBI. Yeah. Uh, where, where a narrator says, okay, at this time they showed up here, at this time they showed up here, at this time they did this, and then it kind of leads you right in, pushes you right there to yeah. uh, the people who perpetrated the Manson family murder of Sharon Tate. But where it kind of goes left is that in the movie, uh, you are introduced, or, or Cliff is introduced to Tex, who is uh, one of the Manson family murderers. Uh, murderers. And of course, there is a familiarity there. Uh, and then... Of course, Rick comes out and pisses yeah, them off. The true, the true moment of like when history shifts. Yeah, is when is, Rick, is comes Rick hating hippies and walking outside with the blender full of margarita that he's drinking. And be clear, Leonardo is hilarious in this movie. <laughs> yeah, like it's so easy to talk about Brad Pitt because he's so fantastic, but Leo's is good. Yeah, yeah. this is my favorite performance since him as Calvin Candy. Like yeah. it is him, absolutely just leaning into this sort of unsexy just like <laughs> rough gruff piece of shit like yeah. he's he's not like a he's not a good guy and i think we got to and i don't think Brad Pitt is either and there's something like is getting lost in the in this discourse where we're talking about like these guys aren't supposed like yeah they get cool hero moments but like that's not i don't think that's that's the, not the point their worldviews aren't being validated someone <laughs> being a protagonist doesn't mean that they're the, the good guy right. necessarily no. like rooting for a character doesn't even have to mean I agree with everything this stands for. Right. Like, and also, like, we can like problematic shit without it defining the worldview, too, where it's like, I fucking hate cops, but I like SVU sometimes. <laughs> like, we, both things can be true. <laughs> so, essentially, they get to the murder part, and uh, it diverges because they, they eventually just look to Rick to kill Rick instead. Yeah. And so Cliff, who is high on psychotropic drugs, uh, <laughs> does the Cliff thing and, and kills Tex, with, or, or his dog kills Tex. Yeah, Cliff and his dog tag team Tex and the, uh, the, women. the, I, I, the I, ginger assailant. Yeah, and at one point um, he takes the ginger's head and bashes her into literally everything in the house. <laughs> And this has caused a big issue with a lot of people yeah. on the internet. It, it depends on. It depends on what you think is the more brutal, viol- brutal death. Where people, I saw people say that Tex, who is the male 
like direct descendant acolyte of Charles Manson gets off way easier than the two women. Does and he? I, I don't necessarily know if that's true where, you know, a guy's genitals gets mauled off for a good 90 seconds before he like basically just like passes out from, you know, the, the dismemberment or the castration. And then has his head and then, stomped. And then has his head stomped in. So if we're comparing duration to brutality, I, I don't know if it evens out because, you know, Brad Pitt, who is, you know, early on in the film, had, um, uh, defines himself or it's seen how actually good of a fighter he is. He uh, he can fight Bruce Lee he fought, successfully. Yeah, he successfully fought Bruce Lee in a slap boxing match on set back in the day. And that's sort of like, you know, his Chekhov's gun. Like, he has this skill in the chamber. So even though he's all, he had smoked an acid dip cigarette, and he's got a, a knife in him, and he still has his faculties and his wares about him where he, like, leans into some absolute, like, <laughs> Just brutal hitting. Also, I'm sorry. The ginger girl was dead after the first two thuds. Yeah. Like, oh, the, the, she didn't feel 90%. He throws, when he puts her, the, the, I think the most brutal part of that is when he slams her face into the phone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That As, part sucks. Yeah. Especially because it rings. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I think that... The, and then the other girl gets a dog hand to the face and splits her shit open. I think what like Rolling Stone or someone said was that it was played for comedic effect, and it was like that's what literally what catharsis is. It's, yeah. it's like it's a release. Yes, yeah, we're, we're releasing it, but it's also like we're gonna kill them in the most cartoony, fucked up way because this didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. it didn't really happen. Also, it's okay that people who murdered a pregnant woman and wrote on the walls with her blood are killed cartoonishly in a movie fifty years later. That's not that's not problematic. Yeah. If you think that's problematic. Go outside. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't disagree with that. It's, uh, <laughs> this is literally one of, if not the darkest chapters in Golden Age Hollywood, yeah. where a pregnant woman was cut open, her baby with her baby. They got off easy in yeah. my book, and like, yeah, I, I think people are both un, like people are both like unfamiliar with discussing a movie for adults and also unfamiliar with just how grisly the the true life crime was yeah. but i'm sorry if sharon tate's sister says that this movie was so good she was moved to tears by it i don't, I don't care what says. some fucking bumpkin says like, no. i feel like this is like like this is something where i think people really have to choose their battles bro like like if you if you know what the manson family did like like eric was just saying the the murder that they committed among I mean upon um Sharon Tate and her friends like I have absolutely no problem with this ending being an alternate universe where they're the ones who are brutally murdered like on camera like I just don't have a problem with that I don't think this is something that should be warranting any type of criticism that is getting right now it looks ridiculous in my opinion and, like <laughs> like because it's just like seriously like there was literally an article that said I mean, the Manson family weren't Nazis. They, they were not Nazis. Slave owner, or slave owners, they, they, but they, they were teens who were, who were drugged and misled by right. Charles Manson. Like, right. I, I'm, like, I, will, I will entertain, not entertain, I, I will, there are valid arguments about, you know, Stockholm Syndrome and, and, and women who were victimized by the cult. But to say they were not racist, the man planned these mur murders to blame them on the Black Panther Party. Yeah. He was a avowed white supremacist. The swastika between his eyes came later, but he was a avowed white supremacist. He fucking hated Bruce Lee. He fucking hated the Black Panthers. Like he was gonna blame all all this shit on people of color. Like this is this is part of the this is part of the lore too, and we can't deracinate that from its context. Yeah. And like <laughs> like again, this is a fucking fairy tale. It's called Once Upon a Time. 
this man, this man child, Quentin Tarantino, rewrote the darkest chapter in history of film history to have a happy ending. And if that means a couple of white supremacists that happen to be women get fucking dog walked, literally, <laughs> I'm okay. I, I like, look, man, don't don't show your young kids this if that's the problem. But like, again, I just feel like this is like. We just don't know how to talk about adult movies anymore, and I feel yeah. like that's that's literally all the this comes down to. The only movies we're allowed to talk about and that we can talk about come with they, they come with a Phase Four and a Phase yeah. Five and a fucking Comic Con. Oh my God, they broke the internet! Like that's the only thing we're allowed no. to talk about this summer. Yeah, do you know what we're allowed to talk about? Like we want to talk about like, like, you know, disrespecting women is you know. Uh, Tessa Thompson making a movie called Men in Black and then getting the role, getting the line that says like more like people in black and like winks <laughs> at the camera. That's pandering horseshit. That's more insulting to uh, people's intelligence than than on screen violence of a bad person who happens to be a woman. It's like infantilizing everybody. And like yes, on screen violence against women is a fucking problem and and grotesque. I just like Camp said, you gotta draw your lines in the sand because mm. if this is the one that's that's bursting your bubble, like. I don't know, man. Don't watch Spider Verse. They it, punch women in the face. In that right, yeah, get, like, too. where's the like, like Mar, like Marvel is, you know, perpetuating some of the grossest exploitation of minority communities, just because like it's in a it's in like a hip like like twee way. I, I don't know, man. Thank I, you for saying that, man. <laughs> like seriously, like that's really what's happening with Marvel and Disney, and like people are turning a blind eye to it, like. It's crazy. Like let's uh, let's start with some of the good stuff in, yeah. in this it's, movie. It's possibly Tarantino's funniest movie. Yes. that he's ever done. Absolutely. Uh, that, I mean, every scene has laugh out loud yeah. moments in it. And there are there are moments of, clear, of of kind of like softness in it as well. But I think you know the moment where where Cliff and Rick realize their roads come to an end, and you know I think everyone in the theater was like, oh yeah, shit, like that's pretty yeah. sad. The 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 line about a a friend who's more than a brother and less than a wife. Yeah. Very. Very, well, very hey, good line. You know, you, you, you go your separate ways with your friends. Or, like, even Brad Pitt said, you know, he said he was a devil and he was going to do... Devil shit. I don't shit. know, devil shit. It was, like, <laughs> the funniest shit that ever. That was something dumber than that. Yeah, man, funniest line. <laughs> what, what's your name again? Uh, I don't know why. No, no, it was something dumber than that. <laughs> uh, all-time Brad Pitt performance, just, like, fucking hilarious. Like, even funnier than Aldo Rain, which is hard to say, and I think that's a perfect performance. Yeah. Line. But... His it, face after the Bruce Lee uh, flashback was like, we okay. like, yeah, 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 I get it, I yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so epic. He has this like, you know, again, this this movie is rife with historical revisionism where it's, you know, this stunt double has this flashback of why nobody wants to work with him other than the rumor that he might have killed his wife, who might have been Natalie Wood, uh, that he, you know, assaulted Bruce Lee and like destroyed a prop car. And it, it, it there is... I feel like this is all commentary about even if it's extrapolated larger and you zoom out and zoom out it does have to do with time and culture and treatment of women too where this is this is a nostalgic movie but it's a mournful movie as well where I was saying this in the group chat where like yeah Tarantino is thinking about the days of your like his his old Hollywood was you know the early 90s and it's also him reckoning with like man I was tangentially complicit in a lot of fucked up problematic shit back then too yeah. and like maybe this is him wrestling with it it's not going to be the cleanest it's not going to be an apology or it's not going to apologize away everything but it's like he's wrestling with this stuff for the first time this is his most plaintive and and 
inward thinking, not inward, because he says a lot of those. Inward, I-N-W-A-R-D. It's his least thinking of, of those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's no inward at all. Um, <laughs> but it's his most introspective film that I think, and like, again, I don't want to shut down conversations about misogyny or violence against women because this, this ain't the movie yeah I, 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 but I feel like there are rebuttals to that and it's not a rebuttal against the argument against that it's the rebuttal against this as an interpretation I think that's just a bad misreading of this movie uh, how do you feel how do you feel about the the, uh, the criticism that is boring it's if you think this is boring, you don't have a good sense of humor. Endo <laughs> yeah, story. It's not boring at all. Like it, it, it's there. There are scenes. That, it, it, the scenes are either hilarious or uh, I think really emotional. I think Leo's scene with uh, with the girl uh, Marabella or whatever mm-hmm. her in character name is on on the set when they're talking about uh, Easy Breezy in the book. Uh, especially the, I've seen the movie twice, and especially the second time around, I was moved nearly to tears by that scene. Yeah. And then, and also another moment where he goes, she goes, he goes, you're not that old, you're like, you just turned 40. And he goes, how old are you? She's like seven. He's like, yeah, you only got like 15 more years. Yeah. Like, <laughs> living in 15 years. Yeah, yeah. It's like, obviously a commentary on how hostile the industry is yeah. to women. Like, it's there throughout, it's peppered throughout and, the whole and movie. And then that's, this is after he's just given this miraculous, or no, then a few a few minutes later he gives this miraculous performance in the trailer yeah. when he's th- uh, talking about how many whiskey sours he drank. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna stop fucking drinking. Good, good, stop at three or four. Yeah, there's a, there's a literal four and a half minute freak out of him just pacing back and forth in a trailer. If that's not the Oscar reel, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, gotta be. be. I think he's yeah. gonna get it. For this, this is better than anything he's done in the Revenant. I pro- this is acting, not like screaming in the cold and like fucking a carcass. <laughs> this is acting to me because it's funny, it's heartbreaking. That he runs the gamut of emotion. He doesn't do the, like the Wolf of Wall Street thing where that might as well have been Nicolas Cage screaming the whole time. That right? would have been awesome. That's what I think about when I see that performance. Anybody, I love Nick Cage. Does, does anybody know? This is the person who stole like the the show for me the the little girl does anybody know her name the I don't one, know her the, name I can't imagine act, she's had a, a been in a ton of stuff at this point no. in her career but how, how, god damn she was good she was incredible like her scene with her and Leo when he's reading the book about the Bronco Buster yeah and he, like she he starts but he, like the story hits home it hits close to home for him like that's incredible and like she's amazing throughout whatever scenes that she has in the movie yeah um, really good she's hilarious she's really good like that was that might be other than the 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 bruce lee versus cliff booth scene flashback scene <laughs> that might be my favorite moment and then when cliff booth goes to spawn ranch that was like a very, yeah i was very just gonna say we got to talk about that one uh when it becomes like a horror movie straight up yeah uh i i thought that scene was that's really when it it, it changes because it it, it the energy of the movie really changes because it's such a dark scene, but the energy changes like really at the end because he just beats the shit out of that guy, and like that's the first time that you really see him fucking or anybody like really like, oh, crack beats in the him movie. at the um, the tire t- tire yeah. change on Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> that guy laughing at him. Yeah, that reminded me of like fucking. Um... Uh, not Lockstock. What's the uh, snatch? Snatch. Yes. Yeah. Like, he's like the bare knuckle. Bo- he still got the good form as the yeah, bare knuckle yeah. boxer. Um, but yeah, going back to the 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 complaint that it's boring. It's like this has obviously or arguably less going on than Kill Bill Two, and I did not feel the like again. It moved, it, moved, it moved at a clip that I was like, I just could have told me this ninety five minutes. I would have believed you. Yeah, it, it's a fun fucking movie. Yeah, like it, I, I think more than anything, it's it's about two pals. 
you know, having fun. And I, I think I think either Eric or Pat said it just now. It, it, it's acting. This movie is about acting. It's about Hollywood. It's about the people that it's changed, like it's changed their lives and given them a better life. And it's about the movies, you know, about the people that it, it's giving them a new life. And yeah. So, and, and you know. Or how it can give them a new life fifty years later. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it, I think it's a beautiful movie. I think the end really moved me as well. Just seeing that tribute to, to Sharon, and I know a lot of people say, you know, why didn't Margot get that many lines? I'm like, she's mythologizing this. Yeah, movie. and she mythologizes not only is, is it great mythology for the Sharon Tate character, or for Sharon, for not just the character, but for Sharon Tate, but also the complaint that Margot doesn't have a lot of actual lines in the movie. Or that's, I mean, there's no denial of that. That's just a no, factual yeah, it's, thing. It's, 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 it's true. true. And if you would have preferred her to be a more standard character in the movie, then that's just how it is. But I think what she ultimately stands for and what her presence means to the movie is much bigger and more significant than one character could ultimately stand for otherwise. Right. 100%. So I think we're all going to keep Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, and not for nothing, I just have to say, it's a fucking fantastic Los Angeles Movies, yeah, absolutely. Which isn't going to matter yeah. to plenty of people yeah. listening to this, but it god damn. It hits different when you see it here. I, I didn't realize it at the time when I was watching it. I think I realized when I was driving home in the Uber. The, every time Brad Pitt is in his sports car and he drops Leo off and takes his kind of rickety, probably used to be a nice sports car all the way back to Chatsworth, he doesn't stop because there's no traffic. Yeah. And this was a time where, like, Elliot wasn't overpopulated yet. Mm-hmm. There wasn't this smog problem, this vi- environmental crisis looming. Like, he's whipping around these corners. I'm like, oh, he's going to run over someone. It's going like, to change the course of history. Like, no, <laughs> he's just cruising. And like, there's these moments, there's like a, I think a good 90 seconds where it's just, just driving. driving. There's yeah. no, no dialogue. He's just listening to music and he's cruising, probably with the 101 North or whatever. And I was like, holy that shit. The PCH? Yeah, <laughs> that's the, a that PCH? Funniest line reading of the year. Um, <laughs> but again, I, it goes back to, the the general conversation what's happening in the quote unquote discourse where there's a lot to complain about with Tarantino's worldview. It isn't perfect, but I don't think this is him. This is a movie about a guy who recognizes this this industry and this world is moving on without him. I don't think he's sad about it. No, he has a happy ending. He's like, this is my time. I'm gonna go hang out with my neighbor now. Yeah. and he was happy. Like yeah. he got to finally have a connection with somebody. Like I feel like Tarantino is happy with what he's done in film culture, and if this the culture moves on without him. He's not saying like, oh man, it's tough for men. Men can't do what they want anymore. I don't, I think that is a gross misreading of this because there are movies like that where these really fragile white men are just like coming on the film and just like thinking this is art and their art is important. I, I honestly thought this was him and his most restrained and most thoughtful. Yeah. So that is our Quentin Tarantino episode. Thank you all for listening. Uh, I don't know what we're doing next. No, we'll have to uh, combo the to, plan. This yeah. took up our, all of our brain with my brain. I can't, yeah. Like I never want to hear the word Tarantino again. <laughs> Just because of the online I've I've been trapped in the rabbit hole, man. So I'm about to go watch Inglorious Bastards right now. There you go. Like, go on. <laughs> on Netflix. So I wanna thank everyone from everybody in the video store here for listening to the show for a complete year. Um yeah. it has been quite the roller coaster ride, you know, the quite the thrill ride more than anything. And we have so many more ideas, so much more movies that, you know, let us know what you want us to watch, um, you know, coming into this, this second year of Late Fees, and, and we got you. So, uh, of course, follow us at RNC Radio Live uh, for all of the latest playlists and 
podcast. We have the Mount Silver podcast. We have that is coming this week. We also have uh, the Lookout podcast, which drops this week as well. We also have Overly Medicated with myself and Mark. Uh, and so many other shows. Righteous Gemstones coming soon. And myself and Pat have a podcast coming uh, at the end of August. Called yeah, end of August. Yeah. Uh, so Help Me God, our uh, continuing HBO promotional tie-in <laughs> material. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, yeah, the Righteous yeah. Gemstones. Uh, Danny McBride's new show with... John Goodman. John, and uh, Walton Goggins. Back, baby. Yeah, if, if year one was sponsored by the Arclights, year two is sponsored by HBO. Oh, yeah. HBO Go. Oh, hey, I got, I got my gold number. Uh, I got it back. Oh, wow. I'm back in the circle. Exactly. Uh, this was also sponsored by Arclight as well. And so uh, until next time and for yet another year, thank you for listening to Late Fees. And the video store is closed. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Thanks, y'all. Peace.
seas tan mala, nena, no me trates así, que yo me quiero morir, muchachita, por tu amor, por tu amor, nada más. Oye, no me digas que no, porque yo... Oye, mulata mira, baby, hey, California dreaming. It doesn't matter how you say it. All I wanna say is I love, I, I love California, baby, yeah. I really love, I really love, I really love. 